Behold the face of fear, the mind of madness. Behold the horror that may soon be champion. I am afraid of what I might do, but I no longer have control of my mind. Pray that this man can stop the insanity. Pray for him if he doesn't. Have a nice day. In the theater of the mind, the stage can be treacherous. These performers are enigmas. One is ethereal, the other bizarre. One wears the mask of deception. He exposes the hidden fears imprisoned within his opponent. Battered egos are his plaything. But this man fears no one. He is the shadow of death. With the stench of betrayal still hanging in the air, the mastermind of its origin may be within his grasp. Tonight, one will bow when the final curtain falls. If the eyes are the window to the soul, what horrors are locked in the basement of this man's tortured mind? Is his sanity trapped in a maze of madness, or is he a willing soldier in the realm of darkness? In the light, there is hope. A champion whose body is virile, whose will is unmatched. In his usual battlefield, he has achieved the highest of honors. But when war begins in the psyche and sanity struggles with lunacy, which will survive? Can the champion continue to live his dream? Or will he awaken in this man's nightmare? Hello again, and welcome to the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, oh, here we are a week after Hell in the Cell. Oh, man. The Red Cell. Vicious Red Cell. Because we can't do blood anymore, so we just paint the cell blood, and that way it gives you the impression of blood and violence. See, you should only have a red cell if Kane's involved in the Hell in the Cell match. It's true. Well, the main event was very reminiscent of the original Hell in a Cell match between Shawn Michaels and Undertaker, where Kane interfered. They did the almost exact same finish. Door gets ripped off the hinges. Door gets ripped off the hinges. Uh, Two wrestlers did a a spot off the side of the cell. And amazingly, in Jeff Hardy's match, he did not kill himself in the first match against uh, Randy Orton. A very... uh, scary proposition originally when i heard that jeff hardy was going to be in hell in a cell i imagined the ladder being on the top of the cell this guy's gonna fly he swan the first thing popped in my mind is he's swan taunting out onto the the entryway on orton with some some tables like that's the first thing that popped in my mind well on every video game we've ever played patrick i'm sure we've played this match in our in our minds and in our heads because this guy that's all he's known for is he jumps off of high things and uh he shouldn't be wrestling at, at this stage in his career because of all that he's done it's amazing the condition that he's in and that his brother is actually the one that's Uh, about to hang up the boots. It's pretty crazy. Instead, though, they went a different vicious way and instead had Randy Orton take a screwdriver to uh, Jeff Hardy's gauged earlobes and stretch them out, which is probably doesn't hurt very much because, you know, I mean, your ears are pierced. I mean, Uh. the, the sensitivity there is probably gone, but... As far as a visual look, it's disgusting. I hate it. It looked nasty. But the worst part is the the splash from hanging from the top of the cell. 
uh, he did not center up properly, and he broke that table with his face. And uh, that was, for me, I thought he broke his neck. It really was a very scary instant. Yeah, but I, I thought it could have been a lot worse, so I'm very oh, yeah, thankful it that it, it was as tame as it was, but still had the violent edge. I mean, the feud felt hot enough to be in the cell, so they yeah. did a good job with that. Why was it on the pre-show? I was shocked as to why we're giving away a Hell in a Cell on the pre-show. Well, but when you say giving away, I mean, the pre-show is network exclusive. True. So it's like, the pre-show is really part of the main show now. So yeah. They, they want you to tune in and watch the pre-show. Maybe in international markets it is broadcast over somewhere where, like the old days, like the free-for-all where they try to sell you. Yeah. And hell, that'd be a great way to sell me, you know? Yeah. You gave me a Hell in a Cell match. Yeah. And then I'd call up and order the pay-per-view or order the network or whatever. Yeah, it is an odd placement, but, you know, I mean, Roman Reigns is in the main Hell in a Cell match. We can't oh overshadow God. that. Okay. And then we had and then we had the tag match with uh, the New Day and uh, Rusev Day as... Rusev Day has come to a conclusion on SmackDown. The end of Rusev Day has come to an end. Good. The thing is, Aiden English, a year from now I could be proven wrong, but it's just that he's not going to go anywhere. No, I and haven't liked him for the longest time. He he lost a lot when uh, when he lost his tag partner. Oh yeah, the VOD Villains. Yeah. yeah, Simon Gotch. Yeah, yeah the he, VOD Villains in NXT were a very good act. They Just like a lot of NXT acts when they come up to the main roster, they, they lost their luster. Simon Gotch was a pain in the ass, so they fired him. And then Aiden English was on his own, but then he got paired with Rusev, and I thought as a good mouthpiece, as a good, uh, you know, a guy to take the big bumps and let Rusev and Lana get the shine. I thought that was uh, like an Enzo situation where he was going to work out in that way, but as a single star, he's terrible. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Where do you? I, I just, don't like his wrestling. His wrestling style. I don't like the way he carries himself in a ring. He's uh, got a terrible look. Terrible look. He uh, he can't sing, and he's <laughs> well, going. I get where he's going for the Vicky Guerrero thing to get people pissed off when he's singing. Well, that's his mother-in-law. When so. you hear him, he you, should be paired with Vicky. There you go. That he might actually get heat eventually. I, I find him to be a boring, annoying wrestler. Well, and I find the New Day, it's just that act has run run dry oh, for yeah. me. And I, even, I understand that it's geared towards children, but even at this point, I'm just like, I've got I, I'm guys. tired of that we went from bootios to pancakes, and we've been riding the pancake wagon for three years now. Well, I'm ready to... What I kind of liked at first when they started with the bootios and the self-promotion and the, the, the promoting of their t-shirts and their... their their swag or whatever yeah. is that it was tongue in cheek that it was self-aware yeah but now it's not become self-aware now it's actually become what it was intended to parody which is we're just selling merch random, random crap yeah unicorn horns yeah you know so i'm just kind of over the new day we had an upset in my opinion when becky lynch took home the uh, smackdown women's championship i thought they were going to drag this one out i did too I did too. So I definitely see in some way a swap by the time we hit Evolution. A swap for for Charlotte over to the Raw brand. I think she's going to have an extended program with Becky. She's going to come up short. And then she's going to win the uh, Women's Royal Rumble. Right now on the uh, betting odds side, she's the favorite to win the Rumble. And then that'll get her to Raw. And that'll get her to Ronda. And that'll get them the match that they want. So yeah. I see that, that being what happens. And... 
Uh, you know, like I said before, Charlotte has pretty much been paired with everyone on the SmackDown roster, been paired with everyone on the Raw roster, except Ronda. And so, Becky, you've got all these fresh matchups with Becky as champion, yeah. and I think they just need to ride that for a while. Yeah. So, uh, I'm glad that they made the change. I'm surprised they made the change this early and not at Evolution, but there's going to be so many title matches and ceremonial trophies at Evolution that this they would have gotten lost in the shuffle there. Whereas at Hell in a Cell, it was probably the biggest story of the night, really. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. Why in the hell is Lesnar back? Lesnar is back, Patrick, for money. Because he is going to work the Saudi Arabia show. As rumor has it, that's what Shawn Michaels is going to do, too. $38 million will entice a lot of people to show up and uh, work. So Brock is going to work at least one more WWE show at Saudi Arabia. Probably not a singles match, but that's what uh, it's rumored. Maybe a, some sort of three-on-three against the Shield, maybe. Uh, or maybe against Braun. Or He's just going to work that one match because... Uh, he'll be eligible to fight in the UFC in January. It looks like he's he's re-entered the USADA testing program, and he's uh, probably going through a fighting camp. But, you know, you can work one match in there, sure. Yeah. And keep going. But that was... And it was their way out. He slammed way down, too. Oh, man. yeah. he. It was also their way out of this match, because they booked themselves into a corner, as we like to say on this show quite often, where they had Braun, who Braun. they turned heel... Braun had to win. If you were going to do it cleanly, Braun had to win. You could not let him lose. And like you said, they had to come up with some way to to prevent that from happening. Right. They have their they have their project number one yeah. in Roman Reigns, and yeah. they have their project number two in Braun Strowman. And how do we get out of this? Yeah. Without Braun taking a pinfall. And, I mean, he did lose his money in the bank here. I mean, unless they come up with some shenanigans to get it back to him, which is always possible. You know, as far as that goes, I mean, Mick Foley played really no role in the match. I thought that was kind of a weird... I thought it was a waste. I yeah, think. I mean, uh, it was a way to get promotion for the the special that aired after, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, uh really played no part in it the was match. a waste uh, by the way slamming down holy shit mick foley looks like he's ready to go another five five more years i mean he's really in good shape well yeah new hips and knees will do that moving for you good and, the, and moving good in the ring as a referee too i mean he was really he was on it 20 years you put foley in the cell 20 years almost to the day foley needed a spot and they didn't give him that spot and that that right there I feel like was they could have done that and saved that match. Now nobody's really talking about the match. The only match we're talking about is the fact that it was a red fucking cell. <laughs> yes, they painted the hell in a cell red, I which mean, looks awful on television. Oh, it's terrible! It's terrible. The black, at least you can kind of see through with cameras, and you don't even have the Punjabi prison is <laughs> visually a little bit more appealing than red. Red is one of the worst colors to put on television one of the local tv stations here swapped all their graphics packages to red and i thought it was the worst move they ever made just because you know all the connotations that red has you know stoplights stop signs red i'm seeing red anger all the things associated with red and now you're going to take this giant structure and that takes up the entire screen and so any external shots all i'm seeing is a big red blob that yeah that's exactly it and so it, you, what you did is you forced yourself to have to shoot the entire thing from inside the, 
the cell. Well, you're gonna yeah, you're gonna have to rely on those shots a lot more, and those aren't always the easiest the, shots to get. The easiest shots to get, or the to cover certain moves. You know, sometimes you want to take that wide shot. You know, the black you can still see through, and it's like you're not really it's there, but it's a, it's like a little filter. You don't really see nothing. I mean, hell, even the blue cage back in the day was. Yeah. Was more visually appealing yeah, than this red is hideous. This red is flat out hideous. But it's to sell toys, you know. I mean I understand why they do it. You know, I understand why they do certain things. So we're gonna get a, a red cell in two K nineteen? Based on the roster release for two K nineteen, I'm not sure we're gonna get a lot of updated things at all. And this is something that plagues the two K series every year. This'll end our Hell in a Cell conversation. Uh AJ Styles retained against Samoa Joe. AJ Styles now almost a uh, year long title reign as yeah. the WWE champion. Which so. is rare nowadays so very definitely yeah uh but Um, it's it's also kind of sad that they've devalued the wwe title to where it's always a mid-card belt now yeah i hate that because it has the lineage i hate that yeah they could at least every once in a while swap them out i'm with you i agree i hate that just to reiterate though i i feel like Especially the feud he's having with samoa joe right now is much hotter than the feud between braun and roman reigns Oh, yeah. The Samoa Joe and the Wendy and the I'm going to be your daddy stuff. I mean, it's is way more intense than, yeah. than Braun and Roman just growling at but each Braun other. But Braun and Roman uh, fully should have had a spot. That's just, I, mean, I think that's a fair assessment. But, I mean, what is he even capable of? You know, I mean, what is... And, well, he gets and, slammed into the door by Brock or something. Something to get him outside. Something to get him physically, like... Brock picks him up and just... Well, he got pepper sprayed, so... Well, I'm just saying, Brock chucks him through the door to tear the door, you know, to break the door down, or something along those lines. Something. He should have been involved in some sort of a physical altercation instead of just pepper spray. Well, and also, I mean, we explained how absurd it was that Stephanie McMahon, who fired him, put him in this match. Yeah. So is he a heel? No. Is So he's supposed to be a face, right? No. He's just... A referee, you yeah. know, like he, if he was a face, he would have helped Roman in a, in a way, but he, yeah, I mean, he was just there Maybe to get pe- pepper sprayed. Some counts too, dude. Some slow, he wants to be fair, you know. Those were some slow counts, man. I was thinking, God, he went to the Vince McMahon referee in school. That was, that was a rough count to watch for that match. But yeah, no, back to AJ and, uh, and Samoa Joe, that should have been the main event. I enjoyed that match. Um... I that the feud's hot, the crowd's all over it. I think it's definitely something that needs to be be ending the show, not being a mid card. And I haven't watched Raw and SmackDown, you know, minute by minute for the past few weeks. But what I have noticed is SmackDown has been consistently better over the last few months as far as a wrestling show goes. And so I just think it's kind of embarrassing that they they put you know AJ and Samoa Joe before the Miz and Maurice taking on Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella. You know, like which should have been in a cell. Why was that not in a cell? Well, because I think. Daniel, Brian, and Miz should be in the cell, but they're not going to put Brie Bella and Maurice in a they in put, a cell. They, they put Charlotte and... Well, I understand. It's not about women. I think it's about the skill level of the women involved. The, these two women wrestlers are not at the same level as Sasha Banks and Charlotte. Well, no, I'm not saying that they are, but uh, putting them... And you don't want to overuse the cell. I know we had like three cell matches last year, so... The cell really... I, I kind of hate the idea that there's a pay-per-view called Hell in a Cell. Because... Oh, yeah. 
the cell should be brought out for a blood feud for the culmination. It's it's not like it takes away the the excitement of announcing you two right because we cell. just know because we know in September October yeah oh, talks ticking we're gonna get a cell match here pretty soon right instead of it being spontaneous and you know. Man, these two... We've done everything else. We've, we've done it all, and now we're going to lock you in there, and it's, it's, you fight it till you, you know, fight it out. I mean, hell, I mean, just do fucking lockdown. Just put them all in the cell, you know? See, if, I, if it, I agree. I, I agree. mean, if you're just going to... If you devalue it that by having it as a pay-per-view, where you just know that you're getting at least two or three, then... Yeah. Someone someone I was watching it with, is it's not a big wrestling fan, said that, though. They said that... Um, you know, if you're going to call it Hell in a Cell, then wouldn't you think that all the matches would be done in the Hell in a Cell? Because, I mean, you're promoting that match as the pay-per-view. So it should be all the matches in that one. And I, I tend to agree. I mean, if you're going to call it that, that's like TLC. If you're going to call it a TLC pay-per-view, fuck it, every match needs to be a TLC. You know, you either put up or shut up. It's kind of... Yeah, I just... They've devalued the Hell in a Cell by just automatically including it every year. And because it used to be special. It used to be like once every couple of years. Well, Elimination or... Chamber is going to fall by the wayside, too, because it's lost the 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 anger of the Elimination Chamber with the metal grading and, you know, just the sick, twisted, you know, you knew these two or these men were going in there. It was going to be, you know, you're getting backdropped over the ropes and you're falling on the chamber metal grading. Now you've got fucking pads out there. Like, yeah, that really, you know, it just, it's fallen to a point where it's not even, it's too safe. And... Well, and it's not used to settle scores. It's just no. used to for multi-man number one contenders matches or for just yeah. a multi-man title it's match. Not, it wasn't done. It hasn't carried over the way it did the first time it was presented or the second or third time it was presented. Where here it is: these the, these four men have or these two men have a problem. These four men have a problem. They've run and crossed storylines together. Till you know what? All these men were putting them in there, and here it is. You don't have lock them up. Yeah, you don't have across story, you know, storylines anymore. You you yeah. lose that. That's John, a lost art. Like John Cena could be in the match and be across from you know Rusev, and they have nothing to do with one another. You yeah. know, storyline wise, but yet they're supposed to just bash each other's skulls in in this yeah. elimination chamber. That's yeah. that's that's something that's kind of missing from wrestling that we've talked about before about. And you see it tonight on the pay-per-view you picked for this week, Mind Games, where they kind of cross storylines a little bit, where they, the, the people mingle with one another. They don't they don't just live in a bubble. They don't just live in it's a world. It's not you, me, and that's it. It's You're right. You, me, and well, what about him over there who's on your side? Well, if he's on your side, I hate you so bad that I hate him, you know? Right, where, where the storylines all sort of cross up. Where they acknowledge each other's existence. Right. So... It's just something they don't do anymore. So, no. uh, But now to move on to 2K19 discussion. Now, last year I complained because Seth Rollins was the cover athlete of 2K19. That's fine. I think he's been the best performer on the roster this year. So a very good pick last year. But part of the promotion was one of his ads was him burning down the WWE warehouse, which is where his 
theme song now has that burn it down line. He's never said that in a promo. No. He never did that. That was yeah. never part of it until the video game. Right. So this was a phrase, burn it down was created for the video game. So I'm like, okay, I get the video game, 2K18. You gave it to me for my birthday. Thank you. And so I get it and I pop it in and I'm like, okay, Seth Rollins, come on out to the ring here. What's missing? They didn't put the theme song, the new updated theme song that was created for the game in the game. 2K19 will have a red hell in a cell. Fuck no, it won't. Yeah. Uh, so far, it's not been announced. They're, they don't have Nikki Cross in the game. They don't have Tommaso Ciampa in the game. They don't have Von Eriks. They don't have Freebirds. Uh, yeah, Brian uh, Pillman, Arn Anderson, people that have been featured in recent years with no explanation. Well, at Pillman, Pillman is inarguable. I. I personally, just as a fan, I feel like Pillman should be in the game. But Arn Anderson, okay. In a Ric Flair edition. You're doing a Ric Flair edition. His best friend. The horsemen need to be in the fucking game. I mean, for holy shit, people. How Put two and two together here. And like I said, it doesn't have to be Oli. I said this last week. It could be Arn, Tully, Barry Windham, and Ric Flair. They but could he, easily he, get Barry Windham, and they could even just put the Luger version that was in the four. They could put any version of the Four Horsemen, but Arn is always Arn is Arn always Flair a solid. the constant. Yeah, yeah, they're the solid that you have to have for horsemen. How about J.J. Dillon as a manager? Non-playable character. Now, see, I could be bullshitting here, and they hit me up with the Hall of Fame DLC, and it had the Horsemen in it, which would be awesome. I would cut them some slack. It better have the fucking Von Erichs and the Freebirds in it, too, because I think it's horseshit. Well, we never got the full Freebirds. No. So. I think that's horseshit. And then the fact that here's these two guys that it, it, it gives you another custom arena to play in, in world class, at the Sportatorium. It, you know, how hard is it to fucking throw them in there? Those, those five guys. Six guys, if you're actually going to do it right and put Terry Gordy in there. I mean, so. it's not that difficult. And it, it kind of... And you do six men, you have six man tag in there. You would think six man tag, you know, Kerry, Kevin, and David versus, you know, Hayes, Gordy, and Roberts. Roberts. And, and you, I mean, just basic, simple wrestling stuff, I think 2K is dropping the ball of. I really do. I don't consider 2K to be a wrestling knowledgeable game Well, creator. I think uh, Ukes is the developer still, and they haven't... They've just re-released the same game year after year with minor changes, taking stuff away that people like and adding stuff people don't like or vice versa, and it's just rinse and repeat every year. This yeah. year we have 186 unique playable characters, which is a record, and 38 playable women, so that's also a record, but yet you still... it's Like I say every year, it's like... Yeah, you, this is great, but it's like I always look for what I, it's always what I don't have that that I focus on. And is Evolution going to be in there? The pay per view? Probably not. No, it's happening the exact same. The, the The game is coming out the exact same month that it's happening. You're making history by putting the most women ever in a wrestling game. Put two and two together. Hey, here's the drawings that we're going to do this as. No, you're just expected to go and, you know, go to community creations and hope somebody does the work for you and makes it for you. Yeah. It's just lazy. So, 
Uh, but I am looking forward to my Woo edition, not going to lie. And uh, some of the storyline modes uh, videos they've shown have been kind of interesting, but still disappointed that they just can't get this roster right. Year after year. It's the same thing every year. We got DiBiase back, thank God. We got Piper back, thank God. No Virgil, though. Still very upset about no that. No Virgil. I, I'm, I can live without Virgil, sorry. No offense. But, I mean, you're giving us a Starcade. That's arena. right, yeah. You're giving us Flair and Dusty NWA. You need to give us the fucking Horseman. I mean, just... I mean, I don't know if it's because Tully's on bad terms with them that they're not wanting to put him in the game. I still don't Fucking Arn Anderson works for him, so I don't know why the hell they don't put Arn in the game. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Well, considering he was in 2K17, I just don't understand from... I realize that they have to go back year after year and say, you know, re-up the contract, or maybe the contract's for two years, but like... Cut people or add people here. Right, but... I mean, how hard is it to just say... Here's the deal. Do you think the, the, wrestlers get greedy and say, I want more money to be in at this time around? Or No, here's the deal. It, it, they would rather spotlight new talent now, a new and upcoming talent in the video game, get you to play as that guy. Oh, I'm really good with him on this on the video game, so that means I'm going to root for him here in real life. People don't play as... When was the last time you played as a, a brand new player you didn't know shit about in the video game? I can tell you I probably... Never played as Apollo Cruz. My point exactly. A hundred percent, or Titus O'Neil. I have exactly. never played as them. My point exactly. So why in the hell waste that spot when you could give that spot to somebody like a Norn Anderson or somebody like a Terry Bam Bam Gordy, somebody that legend was the fans are going to love and they're going to damn well enjoy it. Plus, at that point in time, then you're making your roster work harder on live television to be a part. Of the roster. Where people want you, yeah. You gotta work your ass off if you wanna be a part of next year's game. You gotta, you know. I mean, it, it, it's the same way about getting onto TV and pay per view. Get the crowd behind you, get your name out there. The tightest brand, per se. <laughs> earn your right to be in the game. Earn your right to be in the game. Good point. I wish it worked like that, but. Sadly, it doesn't. I just, Either way, we've already spent our money, Patrick, so oh, yeah, they've well, already got us. I'm going to spend it every year anyway, because I'm intrigued, but I mean, it's still, it's just very, it's dropping a lot. Back to Foley, though. 20 years of hell. 20 years of hell, to the day, in the same city. It was a stand-up special, is uh, shot like a stand-up special on the network. Uh, it was a very different presentation from what i'm used to on the network i liked it it I was really, very nice it was very it was done very well i liked it because it was it was shot like a comedy stand-up special i mean it was mick just walking the stage working the live crowd telling stories telling his story wasn't, yeah. it wasn't i mean it was calm it wasn't it was like his comedy special but he wasn't telling jokes it was actually just him telling the the backstory to how his career and how Hell and Cell culminated. I mean, this one match changed his life, and uh, for the good, as far as I mean, it made him legendary. Because, yeah, I mean, amongst wrestling fans, we all would have, you know, looked back at these archive tapes without the Hell in a Cell match and been like, "Wow, this this Mick Foley guy." There's not a he re- was awesome. There's you know? not a wrestling fan out there that is going to ever say. Foley was shit. Well, right, but but this is what made him, as far as mainstream people, yeah. people know that that JR call. People know those yeah. 
those two highlights are probably the most played, even more so than Hogan slamming Andre. Well, and I'm, I like the fact as well that they said um, that he talked about King's Call, you know, afterwards, that I think is overlooked a lot when JR sitting there saying, you know, hey, we know this was a special match and, you know, we're sorry. And King's like, sorry, why the hell would you be sorry for that? Like, <laughs> I, that was incredible. You know, I'm, I've never seen anything like it. And it's, it's so true. It was just a. That it's almost within a two-minute window there. It was just history, and that whole two minutes just stands out in wrestling time, in wrestling nostalgia forever. Well, and and like I said, the positive is that it made him into this legendary figure, this yeah. larger-than-life yeah. figure, because, I mean, like I said, amongst wrestling fans, we would always have a lot of respect and realize how talented he is, but this made him into a mainstream figure. The downside of that, though, now is that anytime he has a meet-and-greet, <laughs> anytime he's ever on the street, anytime he writes a book, anytime he does anything... He's asked. It's Hell in a Cell '98. It's King of the Ring '98. It's those two, those two bumps. So, you know, it's and it's it's kind of, it's kind of overtaken. It's kind of over. Sadly, it's kind of overshadowed the rest of his career, right. which is a great thing about this podcast because we go back through and look at some of those matches that you know people we, you know. And we're going to do it today. I mean, Shawn Michaels in his book I, was Shawn's. I went back and looked. Shawn Michaels quotes this match we're going to cover. As the greatest match he ever had. The most enjoyable, entertaining, best match start to finish he ever had. And I I was blown away by that. When you look at the matches that HBK has had, and you're going to throw mind games out there as your most fun, enjoyable, loved it, working, and doing. That's huge. Yeah, we'll get into detail about that match and our thoughts on it. But what what were your thoughts on the, the Mick Foley special? I loved it. I loved the fact that Daphne was there. Um... Very underrated female star. Um, I, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the guitarist at the at the start. She did very well. Oh yeah, the Nakamura guitarist playing lady. playing even back to his old uh, his old intro music, playing him out that the way. car crash, kind of going yeah. through the whole you know genre of his uh, of his career that way. I just thought it was done from start to finish very well, and. Um, but like you said, Foley is always questioned about this match. And in my mind, as much as I love that match, it's not my favorite Foley match. No, I, I totally agree. I agree as well. I think most I think most wrestling fans that have seen his catalog of matches, I mean, not the entire... I mean, you'd have to sit here for weeks and watch his entire catalog. But yeah, I mean, the match itself is not that great. But... Where where it's a legendary match, what's unique about Foley is where that's a legendary match, true hardcore wrestling fans will say, oh, well, I liked this one, Backlash 98, where it was, you know, him and or Dude Love and Austin for the title. Or I liked, you know, my personal favorite? No Royal, Way Out. Royal Rumble 2000. Oh, Royal Rumble, him yeah. And, him and Cactus. No Cactus, Way Out was the other hell Cactus so Jack, match. Triple H. I actually liked their Raw uh, I Quit match or whatever, their No DQ match, where he re-debuted as Cactus Jack. Yeah. That was really good. For TV matches, Yeah, for TV, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Foley and Terry Funk, when Vince tells him, for the first time, Foley wrestles as Foley and tells him, I want you to, you know, reach in his chest, rip out his heart, 
and hold it up over you while the blood's pumping, you know. And you just see Terry Funk and, and Mick Foley, no character, just himself, as and Austin on commentary. It, it's That's a great Raw match, if you've ever, for just a televised match. Every hardcore wrestling fan has a... Has a. I thought his match against Sting that we watched a few weeks ago was oh, yes. fantastic. Yeah, his especially his matches with Sting, his matches, uh, his WCW stuff for sure is way underrated, way underrated. The I'm, things he did for the talent that he worked with was is just oh yeah incredible. It, it, it is, and and that's the thing. Like I was saying, with hardcore wrestling fans, Hell in a Cell will always have a spot in in each and every fan's heart. As for Mick Foley. But that also goes hand in hand with every single hardcore wrestling fan has a special favorite Mick Foley match. And I guarantee you, you're not going to find two fans alike that's like, I like that one, but I like this one better. Or I like that one better. I think the majority of them are not going to say King of the Ring 98. Exactly. True. Now, kids nowadays are just learning the match, of course. But true hardcore wrestling fans that know what Foley's done. I have the death match uh, on DVD. I have a an actual re- reverb copy put on DVD that I have uh, I had transferred over for me. And I have some other stuff of his Japan. His Japan stuff is out of this world. Unbelievable that at one point in time we will cover here on this podcast. I don't think it's ready for us to reach out that far yet. But uh, it's... It, His it, it, promo work was always really good, oh, very underrated, a uh, very different style than what a, a wrestler was doing at the time. Right. Well, he talked about that in his show about how you know he show up for your your uh, to do your promos in Atlanta, and it's like, all right, hey Mick, you're going to be here in this city working this person. Go, hey Mick, you're going to be in this city here working this you know person. And it's the same fucking promo, just change the name, change the location. Man, he went up in there with 50 different ones, and he's, you know, he's cutting it all different. And it was unique. It was very different. Just simple things like when he sung Happy Birthday to Sting while they're building for their, you know, match. And, you know, they're like, hey, you know, Sting's birthday's not, you know, Sting's birthday was last summer. And he ends by saying, I know, but he won't be seeing his next birthday. And I'm going, wow. Like, I mean, just simple things that he could turn so well in a promo. There will never be another Mick Foley, and he's one of the most beloved wrestlers, if not the most beloved wrestler in the entire wrestling world. Super nice guy. So He is. And like I said, there's not a single person out there that's going to say, oh, he, he wasn't worth a shit. NWA 70 is coming up October 21st, Nashville Fairgrounds, and it's been announced the color commentator will be none other than James E. Cornette. Who the is, man who always has something to say is going to be given a three-hour microphone. This shit will be good. Yeah, and it'll be broadcast on Fight TV, so you'll be able to listen to his call, or uh, maybe be there in person. Uh, the general admission tickets are only 20 bucks, but the pay-per-view is 25 so I might just watch it from my couch, because I enjoy my couch. See, and I might actually make the drive up there. Well, enjoy that. <laughs> I, just, I really, uh, I, th- I think it's going to be a historic night, and something that a lot of true, hardcore, southern NWA wrestling fans 
are going to cherish and treasure this night. I feel like it is going to be a very historical event. And one that is not going to be given the criteria of the higher up praise that it should get. I, I already see that happening way before we even get to it. Because people are thinking, oh, it's at the asylum and, and na the National Fairgrounds. What the hell? You know what? People tend to forget the asylum at the National Fairgrounds was the first place for, you know, TNA for, what, almost the first 10 years. So. Yeah, and Jeff Jarrett involved in this show as well. So it all, uh, it all comes back. Yeah, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Last but certainly not least. The lawsuit. What lawsuit, you ask? The concussion lawsuit has finally come to an end. Yes, it was dismissed. Uh, again, I'm sure it will be refiled in some other form or fashion, but uh, we've talked about it for probably years on this podcast at this point. But, you know, uh, wrestlers uh, keep suing the company for uh, medical expenses and for... Uh, long-term damage and uh, to their well-being from being pro wrestlers. Yeah. And like I've mentioned, I do sympathize with them a lot, but as part of being an independent contractor, there's no health insurance that comes with it. Uh, there is, they do give you, for in-ring incidents, they, they do now, uh, they do, you know, pay for your recovery that way. But anything after you leave, it's not like they've set up some kind of retirement plan for you. They've not set up some sort of long-term disability for you. Yeah. They'll send you to drug rehab, which is a very nice thing. But a lot of these guys, you know, I do believe that they do have symptoms of, uh, you know, CTE. They do have concussion-related symptoms. But at the same time, you've pointed that out before that... Um, they knew what they were getting into. Uh, no one forced them to take a chair shot to the head. If they took a chair shot to the head the first time and they said, damn, that really hurt, I should probably not do that. I understand that they're under the pressure to keep their job and that they're going to keep taking these chair shots. But at the same time, you have to, as an independent contractor, with no retirement plan, with nothing to fall back on when this is over. Because this is a temporary, this is not, this is not going to last forever. Pro wrestling, it's very hard to even make it to the big leagues of pro wrestling. To make it to a WWF, to make it to a WCW, a TNA, a New Japan, to make it to that upper tier level of wrestling is very, very difficult. And then if you make it there, your time there is limited. Yeah, The clock is ticking. And you need to manage your money because, you know, they also don't give you a financial advisor. They don't give you a retirement planner. And so when you get out and you fall on hard times... And I talked about it with Brian Lawler and some of the other tragedies of pro wrestling. It's when you get out and you're hurting, then you get on painkillers. And you get on painkillers and you can't work. And then you get depressed. And you're on antidepressants. And then you can't, you're out of shape because you can't go work out. And then, you, you know, it's just a downward spiral. Yeah. And so as a last resort, some of these guys filed this lawsuit just as a last gasp to try to, to try and save themselves. And I... My heart breaks for them, but at the same time, they sort of knew what they were getting into. It's not the company's responsibility once their time is done with the company to... That's that's the fault of being an independent contractor. I mean, in, until that changes, until there's... Until wrestling is not... Until they're seen as employees, which they are. You know, yeah. I've always argued that they're, they are employees. You know, yeah. independent contractor 
they should be allowed to go work for any promotion they want to. That's the idea of being independent. Yeah. But they are under ex- exclusivity contracts and stuff. Well, then you're an employee. Well, then at that point, you need to start providing them with benefits and stuff to where when when their, their time is up, that, that they are taken care of after that. It's sad that they have to resort to a lawsuit just for anything. For I mean, this, we saw this with the Raven and, and Buff Bagwell royalty lawsuit. Yeah, it, could, it can be about royalties, but what it really is about is I'm broke. Yeah. I didn't manage my money well. Yeah. I'm hurt. I can't work. The only thing I did was wrestling, and this is my last shot. And so my heart breaks for them, and it's... But I don't know what else to tell them, and I don't know, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's the fault of the WWE. I don't think they should be held held liable for things that happened twenty, thirty years ago. Before you got into the the depths of your disease, before you became so disabled, you know, when you got out, you were probably okay, yeah. you know, for a little while, and you, and you couldn't make it work, you know, like when when Marty Jannetty, you know, or when. When PJ Polacco gets locked up in jail or whatever, it's sad, but it's like that's on you. You know, it, it's not it. It falls back on you when you're when you're on your own. Yeah, and you can't always just reach your hand out to 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 for someone to come save you. Exactly. Yeah. The um the the sickest thing of it all is, and I say this like I say it like this. You knew what you were accepting. You knew the chances you were taking. When you took that chance once and you didn't learn from that, or you said, you know what, I still got to do this to keep my job, then you accept responsibility. You knew what you were doing. So because of that, you got hurt. Concussions, whatever. But you reaped the benefits at the time for the reward you thought was worth it. Right, I mean some of the guys, some of the money these guys were making even at the low end of the card is, is, is are figures that me working a 40-hour job I would never achieve in a year. Right. And so you reaped the benefits of it. And because of that, then you definitely got compensated for your time and for your injuries and for your effort. Big part being on effort. You gave of your body, sweat, blood, and tears for this business in regards to a paycheck. A paycheck that you received at that moment. Whatever happens 30 years down the road, you can't pull one moment here or one moment there back up and say, well, because of that, I now am hurt. You reaped the benefits at that moment by getting the fans to love you, or by getting that paycheck. You got your reward at that point in time. You agreed that taking the chance was worth the risk and the reward at that time. I feel bad for these guys. I really do. They're tr- and you know as well as I do, I reach out to legends more than I do new, new and upcoming talent nowadays. And that personally, just because I don't want to see them struggle. I don't want to see guys on hard times. And if they are, I try to find a way to help them. Get them, hey, I'm going to be at this show, man. Come on. Yeah, we'll, I'll get you. We'll, we'll see if we can't get you booked somehow to earn a little bit of money. Uh, it's going to be an autograph signing somewhere, and I'm going to be there. They're doing the show that night. Yeah, we'll find a corner at a table for you. Throw, you know, Bring some 8x10s, t- sell some sell some merch, You know, try to make some money. I'll do that every single time because – 
I respect the ones that came before me that paved the ground for me to do what I do today. In, re- in respect to that, though, I step in that ring. It's not known that I actually do wrestle, not just referee. I'm better known as a referee, and on rare occasions, very rare occasions, do I actually lace up and wrestle. But, when I step in that ring, I will do whatever it takes to make that match that I'm a part of better. And make it something that stands out, that fans are happy and proud to see, and something that I feel like I gave every ounce of what I did. If it's good enough for someone like a Mick Foley to give of his body for years, then it should be good enough for me to show and respect for these younger kids coming up that, you know what, I'm willing to do that because he was willing to do that. You need to be willing to do that. Because if you're not, this sport that we love is not going to be around. The independent contractor situation is not going to change anytime soon. And, uh... You just need to be prepared to accept the consequences of your actions. And right. it's sort of, I equate it to the WWE taking money for that Saudi Arabia show. It's about, it's money and values is what it comes down to. It's like, Saudi Arabia, we're not going to let any of your women come and wrestle. But we'll give you this big pile of money. That's like saying to a wrestler, we'll, we'll let you come wrestle and we'll give you this big pile of money, but... We're not going to give you any health insurance or any retirement plan, but here's yeah. a big pile of money. Yeah. And you have to it's make right your choice. It's right here for your taking. Are you willing to do this for it? Well, right. I you have, have to it. sacrifice. Yeah. You're going to sacrifice your health, just like the WWE sacrifices their morals when they go to Saudi Arabia and run a show. It, it really comes down to... You sacrifice, and it's no different than if you're a physical worker, okay, of any kind. To get up, go work a 40-hour-a-week job, you're sacrificing your time, you're sacrificing your energy and your efforts into earning a paycheck for that, whether it be, you know, whatever. Wrestlers are the exact same. They're giving up their time, they're giving up their efforts. A rock band, or country band, or whatever comes to your town and does a concert. That's their job. They're sacrificing their time into promoting it, into coming to that town, into setting up for the show, into doing the show. Why? To get a paycheck of you buying a ticket to go and see them. Same thing as wrestling. You're buying a ticket because you know if this person's on the card, or if that person you like, or if this is this match stipulation, you know you're in for a treat. You're in for something that's going to grab you and entertain you. You're buying a ticket for that reason. So if you're involved in that physical match, you know, or you need to stand out for a specific reason because you want to make it in this business, then you know, I got to go over and above. It is sad that a lot, and I do mean a whole lot, of our legends nowadays are suffering and don't have what it takes to live from week to week. If it wasn't for legend signings and conventions and you going and meeting that star and saying, hey man, remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? And them giving of their times and their efforts to meet their fans one last time and get an autograph or give take a picture. They might not be able to eat the next week. 
Some some it is that that bad. And yeah, and some can't even make it to the conventions. Yeah, both with royalties and and the concussion and any kind of claims that are brought against. I understand why they're they're doing it because they got nothing else. Yeah. You know, they're just it's it's they got nothing to lose and everything to gain. So why not? Why not try? Like I said, you know, when they were making the big dollars, where did they go? Yeah. You know, where did that money go? Where yeah. did and some of it, I'm sure, you know, I mean, it it goes unsaid, but a lot of this stuff is under the table that it yeah. wasn't even taxed. Yeah. Where did it go? Yeah. Did it go up your nose? Did it go? Did it go to your steroids? What, did it go to your divorce? What did it go to? Unfortunately, a lot of that that you just said is more true than I know. I mean, that's and that's not nowadays with new talent. Yeah, I think it's but, it's it's improved a lot. It's improved a lot that way with the. The personal, the personalities, and the after. Did you need that new car? Did you need? Why didn't you just live? Why didn't you just have an apartment somewhere? You're you, on the road, three hundred days. Why did you why, need a mansion? You know. Yeah. Like, why do you need a five bedroom house when a three bedroom house for you, your wife, and your kids would be fine? There have been wrestlers that, you know, wrestled in the same era as some of the people involved in the concussion lawsuit that made money and that held on to it. That, yeah. That that live week to week just fine. Yeah. So it's possible, but you have to have self-discipline. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of pro wrestlers are former athletes that, you know, I'm not going to make, you know, there's a lot of smart pro wrestlers, but they're, I'm going to make a generalization here that a lot of pro athletes, a lot of athletes in general aren't highly educated. A lot of them didn't go to college. A lot of them didn't take economics class. A lot of them never, some of them probably didn't know how to write a check. And so when they got this money, they don't have any guidance. They don't yeah. have, or they're surrounding themselves with bad people that. Yeah. So. Blow, you need this to be cool, or you need that to be cool, and you're blowing your money on it thinking that you're doing the right thing, and you're not. And you're not thinking long term. Right. You're thinking this is just going to go on forever. I'm going to be, you know, Papa Shango forever. And at the point in time where you're going to fall into the Hogan mentality, and I, I don't mean that as a notch, notch at Hogan, it's just kind of a. You realize you're on top for so long. You don't want to give that spot up because then not necessarily the fame goes away, but the money goes away too. Probably the best example of somebody who was in that top spot that that fell that hard would probably Scott Hall would probably be my go-to example of. Yeah, Scott fell pretty. Scott fell really hard. That's true. Jake Roberts. Yeah, Jake Roberts. I mean, I mean, it doesn't matter where you are in the card. But then you look at somebody like, you know, Andre the Giant, who was top of the card or whatever, but lived very, lived very frugally. Yeah. Lived on a farm. Grew most, of, grew most of his food that he ate <laughs> there. I mean, seriously. Yeah. I mean, and so at the performance center, they should almost make him take an economics class. They should make business. Them, yeah, they should, they should teach them about that. Get an agent. Try to figure things out. Understand that if this happens, not everybody's going to be a John Cena. Not everybody's going to be a Miz. Not everybody's going to be a fucking Dolph Ziggler. Okay, like uh, you just—I hit the whole spectrum there, top, mid, and bottom. Not everybody's going to be that. The chances of you being on top and a top star are probably a billion to one. Then you look at it like this: the chances of you staying that top star for more than five years easily double that. Chances of a Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Rock, John Cena, Hulk Hogan, 
Nearly impossible. Nearly impossible. And you gotta imagine... you're the modern-day Maharaja and, uh... Yeah, this thing could Jinder be... Mahal. This thing is pretty much over for you by 40. And you had a you had a six-month title reign. You're living that paycheck as high as you can, and you better save that money because, God forbid, ten years down the road, you ain't gonna be in that same spot. You already see him falling now as it is. Right. Now, I mean, obviously, these today's guys are a lot smarter in business-wise, and they... But back in the day, that didn't happen. And if you're getting in this business now, you need to know. Don't make the mistakes that guys back in the day made. Learn from mistakes that they made so you don't make the same ones. Yeah, I'm sure that while this uh, lawsuit was dismissed, this is not the end of lawsuits against the company. No, not at all. So now we go back almost 22 years to the day. Almost. It was actually yesterday, was September 22nd, 2018, but you picked a pay-per-view from September 22nd, 1996. It was a little thing called In Your House Mind Games, live on pay-per-view at 7 o'clock right there, In Your House. Giving a little nod to uh, to Mick Foley here, his 20 year, his uh, his 20 years almost to the day, and we're going to go 22 for what is looked at and arguably one of his better matches out of his career and i think one of Shawn michaels better matches of this era yeah uh, absolutely he was paired against some uh pretty bad competition in 96 he had- after the boyhood dream came true brett of course took off to do tv as uh, austin would tell us later in the night but here were uh some of hbk's opponents psycho sid well sid was survivor series that was later on okay but okay if we're gonna start with it we're, we're gonna go with diesel diesel Bulldog. Bulldog for two months. He was in a six-man with no title on the line, which led into SummerSlam with Vader, which we've already reviewed that one. That was a disaster. As Sean threw a hissy fit. Which isn't Leon's fault. (laughs) No. And then that led into this uh, pay-per-view with Mankind. Then he would not be featured next month at Buried Alive, the champion, not on the show, a dark match afterwards with Goldust. And then would lose the belt to Sid at Survivor Series. So, not exactly a... Who's who of all-stars. Well, is it, it's not Bret Hart working the uh, the likes of... Well, of, Bret's first title run, he had some pretty shit. You know, Skinner, you know, the oh, Repo I'm Man. That. I'm not knocking that at all. But I'm saying he, he worked some great guys in the likes of Yokozuna and the likes Ooh. of... Never no, liked Yoko? Yokozuna. Really? The man laid on his back for most of his matches. He he wrestled the way I would do. Lay on as much as I can lay down in a match. No, man. That to oh, be okay. as big as he is and to move as well as he did, it was impressive. No, guys like Vader and Bam Bam were much better big men. Than, oh, than I, I'm not denying that. I'm just you know saying. But I mean, Brett also worked you know Taker and worked. You know, a lot of these other guys that Sean in that boyhood dream first run didn't really have to work. And so, I mean, I love Nash to death. Well, he was on his way out. Five moves of doom. Well, and he, he, Nash uh, makes very little effort in a match that he's really invested in. So in, in his final match, heading out the door to WCW, I'm sure he put in less than his 0% effort. Have you seen that match? Just curious. God, I don't want to. <laughs> it sounds terrifying. It's, uh, it's 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 pretty rough, man. I mean, when you pull the legend's orthopedic 
fake leg off and you start using it in the match, it's it's very disgusting. And it falls to a, 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 a scene in which that I, I find very distasteful. Uh, instead, like I said, we're doing mind games where uh, it's going to be mankind taking on our good friend Sean Michaels, who may be coming out of retirement very soon for the Saudi Arabia show as well in a tag match with Triple H to take on the Brothers of Destruction, Bod. Are we going to see that? You think? What a waste of a comeback, Maybe? Though. Are we? Like you said last week, why am I not getting AJ Styles and Shawn Michaels? Exactly. Why are you going to waste... Exactly. Oh, oh, it just burns me so much. Like, and like, like we saw Brock come back last week. Why are we not getting Brock and Bobby Lashley? Why are we not getting some of these matches? Why did we never get Sting and Taker? Why do we blow opportunities... That are right there. That are right there. That, that We only have so much time to pull these off. Yeah, I'm going to preach to the choir here. Business. We just talked business. Business is take the money you're given for this show, save it, and have Sean return at WrestleMania for him and AJ. Well, That's business. It is rumored, though, if he does come back for this tag match, they do have a few more matches planned for him. And I hope I can only hope that that's true, that this isn't just a one-off. Because to waste him in a one-off in a tag match... is bullshit. Yes. It's bullshit. I mean, just plain and simple. Especially with Undertaker being as limited as he is. I mean, I'm... I mean, Sean is probably in pretty good condition considering he works at the Performance Center. Well, but... WWE donated an excessive amount of money to Knox County to pay back the fact that they would be borrowing their new mayor for a considerable amount of weeks. Yeah, I mean, well, he's only, I think, going to be featured that for that show. I, I doubt he's going to do a lot of TV before that. And, I mean, he can take a weekend off. Look, to me, this is something with politicians that I've always thought was stupid is when they complain about, and they've done this with every president, oh, he's out playing golf, it's Obama playing golf, it's Trump playing golf, it's Bush playing golf. It's a five-day-a-week job, just like anything else. These guys are entitled to take a fucking vacation. These guys are entitled to have it's a weekend true. off. That's true. Like, uh, No, I feel like he's, he is going to do some TV stuff, though. And, uh, you know, he can run it from, from a cell phone. He doesn't have to always be right there. I'm not saying Yeah, a mayor... Fully, yeah, it's, you know. he, unless there's some disaster in Knox County, the mayor doesn't have to be present. Yeah, You know, exactly. I mean, it's a... Exactly. They meet... A, county commission meetings you yeah, know it's exactly it's just like any other job like, hey, i don't man, have to be there all the I'll time i'll catch you at next month's meeting i gotta go to saudi arabia this month yeah i yeah. gotta go make some money real quick i'll be right <laughs> back but i do hope that if sean returns that it's more than just a one-off and i hope that they don't bur- if they fucking burn hunter against hbk at wrestlemania i will be irate i cannot see hbk and hunter one-on-one again i'm t- i'm so tired of this matchup. That would be stupid for them to do that. See, and It'd a be lot of stupid. fans are saying they want to see Sean and Taker again, and I'm going, why? You've seen we the saw, best, yeah. We saw the best that they had twice. Yeah, it's... And, I mean, you saw the best Sean had at in 98... Well, at Bad Blood 97, their Hell in a Cell match is yeah, amazing. Yeah, but in 98, during the casket match, breaks his back and still puts on a hell of a match. You've seen it. You Here it is. I feel like that is 
the dream match. Hogan and Rock, we got. Okay? Sean and AJ, we need. Yeah, I mean, we've even gotten Cena and Shawn Michaels. We need AJ and Shawn yeah, Michaels. Yeah. It needs to happen. Make it happen. It does. It really, truly, honest to God does. So we are in Philadelphia, which will come into play tonight as there's some invaders that just happen to have front row seats, Patrick. It's they crazy. They a ticket. Yeah. They're free to carry their own beer cans yeah. in. And interfere in, in matches. The, apparently they're free to smoke inside the building. I, and, uh, and Blade, right there. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty incredible what happened. We're at the brand new Core State Center, which had just opened up previous to this pay-per-view, to 15,000 alleged fans. So I... A pretty close to a sellout. It was a new venue, so I actually kind of trust their their numbers here. We missed a few dark matches that weren't on the network version. Jake Roberts was in action against Triple H. He defeated him in 8.30. I'd like to have saw that. Yeah, Farouk with Sonny defeated Mark Merrill with Sable, as they would uh, be on featured on the hotline spot later tonight. So That uh, blue helmet, man, was rough. I'm sorry. That. They'd be squaring off for the IC belt on Raw tomorrow night. So this went 623 with Farouk getting the win. And in our third dark match, Psycho Sid defeated Vader. And uh, Really? Yeah. What? They got some great dark matches I was going to say, shit, I kind of want to watch them. <laughs> in 910, you know what they gave us for the free-for-all, though? They gave us Savio Vega against Marty Jannetty. Which is bizarre, because the first match on the actual card is Savio Vega again. Yeah. Well, so, I think it built into the, the card... Because, what, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, he uh, he did a run-in or something and pissed off uh, Savio Vega, which then led into... Oh, I see. He needed the match right then and yeah. there. Uh, we can talk a little bit about Mick Foley. So Mick Foley was brought in the night after WrestleMania 12. Vince thought he had a hideous face, so he needed to cover it up, even though I don't think Mick Foley is that ugly. There has been a lot uglier wrestlers. Oh, like yeah. Dutch Mantel, Black Bart, uh... Let me think of some other ugly wrestlers. Moon uh, dog spot. <laughs> there's uh, for, for true hardcore fans out there, I think Gene Siniski is a very uh, ugly man. <laughs> uh, but for whatever reason, Vince thinks Mick Foley has a terribly hideous face, and so he wanted him to be Manitar and uh, wanted to slap a mask on him. But they managed to change the name to Mankind at the last minute. And he was brought in to be mainly Jobber to the Stars, primarily Monster of the Month for Undertaker. And uh, what ended up happening with him was, well, we all know what happened. He turned out to be way more it than... He took off, man. He became so much more than uh, Monster of the Month. Oh, man. And I that's mean, all on him. And you, you, it's, per, it's said throughout this pay-per-view tonight that, you know, Buried Alive next month. Man, dude, Buried Alive, holy shit. They ran a feud, on and off feud, with him and Taker for almost three years. The first three years of Foley's run. So it wasn't, a, I mean, a monster of a month turned into an almost three-year feud that they made money off of. Uh, they did the right thing. JR did the right thing in bringing Foley, because that was all on JR. Because at first he was hired in strictly for nothing more than to prove to JR that Hey, man, he ain't going to make it. And if you need a wake-up call and a slap in the face as proof, fine. Here it is. Actually, he was, he was supposed to be Mason the Mutilator. That was what he wanted to be. So, luckily, they uh, 
they went with Mankind instead. But yeah, JR, a major victory here for him, which would... uh, Absolutely. A major get for him as uh, Mick Foley had uh, called up uh, the WWF several times. He worked for him as a jobber back in the uh, 80s, you know, as uh, Jack Foley. Yep. A much scrawnier Mick Foley. Had went to the NWA where he met with JR and, you know, impressed everybody with uh, his work. Went to Japan, uh, had a great feud with Sting, had a great feud with Vader. Then uh, would go to Smoky Mountain Wrestling and then ECW before finally settling up back in the WWF where he would remain until that little time he went to TNA, which he seems to uh, not recall ever. When it gets brought up to him, he just says, uh, next question, please. So, behold the face of fear, the mind of madness, mankind. Pray, everyone pray, that Sean can stop the insanity of mankind. Our boyhood dream hopefully can crush the nightmare of mankind. Goldust, meanwhile, is going to challenge the Undertaker, who fears nobody, with the stench of betrayal still in the air as Paul Bear had turned his back. On Undertaker at SummerSlam, in in the in the Boiler Room Brawl. That's right, with Mankind and uh, smacked him with the urn. He joined Man. He turned his back on the Undertaker after all these years and joined with the likes of Mankind. Yeah, and Uncle Paul. Uncle Paul then teams Goldust with Mankind. A very odd combination. And so you're seeing, for the very first time, your two. Co-main events. Your two big baby faces and their two heels are intermingling. Intermingling together. Storylines, you know, right back to what I was saying earlier. Mixing storylines together, it needs to be done today to make so much more better sense. It's not done enough anymore. I feel like they're losing. Right. Goldust and Undertaker would not acknowledge the existence of Shawn Michaels in today's WWE. Exactly. Vince, Mr. Perfect, and Jim Ross have the call. And I must say, Mr. Perfect, I think, did quite good tonight because he went, he, he picked his spots. He was very quiet, but when he picked his spots, I thought he was pretty good. He wasn't overly heelish, which kind of uh, lacked. I thought he could have been a little more heelish. He but. kept it pretty facts. I mean, he didn't. it wasn't a lot about him like most wrestling announcers make it. Right, and I I thought that he probably was under a lot of pressure knowing that he's working alongside his boss. I imagine that's a very tough spot to be in. Yeah, I would not want to be. I would not want to be doing commentary beside Vince. That would be. Yeah, it's bad enough to have Vince in your ear, but to be sitting right next to him. Yeah, that's not. I agree. Up first, we have Justin Hawk Bradshaw out for a Caribbean strap match. Is that Dutch Mantel in his corner? That would be Dutch Mantel. Well, he is uh, pretty unmistakable, I guess. I don't know how I could confuse him for anybody else. Justin Hogg, Bradshaw, JBL, before the money, is out taking on Savio Vega, who's backstage with Kevin Kelly. Savio says he's going to whip his butt. Savio already worked the pre-show against Marty Jannetty, so Savio going to get two paychecks tonight. Nah, just kidding. He's only getting one. Uh, he's going to work this strap match. He is undefeated in Caribbean strap matches, so... Uh, the, the streak is on the line. The real streak is on the line. Savio Vega, who had a great run in the Brawl for All tournament, but ultimately cost him his career as he got injured in the Brawl for All, but had a good showing. Was a legit tough guy. Had some uh, 
had some had a knockout I think in the brawl for all tournament in '98, but uh, Los Bariquas really uh, brought his career to a screeching halt. But was a pretty always a pretty good mid card talent to yeah. me. Uh, pretty underrated uh, as uh, far as I'm concerned. He's just started wrestling a little bit again. Uh, late last year, did some shows in uh, in um, Mexico City and in uh, in Cuba. So still back on the he's back out on the. Uh, on the trail again, I don't know if it's a money thing or if it's just he really actually wants to be part of the business again. Bradshaw wraps the strap around Savio's neck and tosses him around the ring. The ring bell goes off despite their wrists not being attached. Patrick Young, you should know better. That's true. You have to get them strapped up before you ring that bell. That's and Harvey true. Whippleman gets uh, admonished here by JR and the commentators. Harvey Whippleman. Who in the hell allowed Harvey <laughs> Whippleman to get anywhere close to a referee shirt? Yeah, he pretty much sucks as a referee. This is bad by any means necessary. He had no business being the referee. I love Harvey personally. He's a great guy. Stick to managing because you suck as a ref, dude. Bradshaw man just hit two buckles before Savio stops him. Tommy Dreamer, I notice, is sitting in the front row, taking up two chairs. He's, like, spread out here. Tommy Dreamer? In an ECW shirt, just hanging out, This is row. This is an ECW. No, it is not. And then, out of nowhere, Sandman spits beer in Savio Vega's face. What? We- and surprisingly, these two fans are not immediately arrested and beaten down by security. Instead, Gerald Briscoe and some of the other stooges come out and calmly just say, Hey, guys, you guys are going to have to go on. Go on about your day. And is, Vince, that, is that Paul Heyman's ponytail I see? It might be, as this uh, Vince described it as, There's a local wrestling organization trying to make a name here tonight. And that would be it. Back to the action. <laughs> what a spot! We, we are not going to. Uh, we are not going. We're going to gonna sell this as semi-real. Yeah, and, we're but not, not going to allow them to. Because what is it he says? He says we're not going to allow yeah. them to make a name in a cheap way or something. He makes some, some snide. We're not going to give them the attention they're seeking. Yeah. No, despite showing them doing exactly that. Exactly. And, and, it's such a weird, bizarre way of plugging but he's, ECW. But he's saying we're not going to show it, but he keeps showing that right, yeah. the whole fucking They're on the time. hard camera. You, you can't, can't miss, miss it. Like, the whole fucking time. And I'm sure this was something, you know, but this is when wrestling magazines were still prevalent, and I'm sure this was, you know, fodder for that. But as far as, you know, working to a TV audience... If I was a WWF fan, I'd be like, what the fuck just happened? What is that? Yeah. And I, there was no Google. I couldn't just go home and yeah. like say, who the fuck was that? What yeah. was that? Yeah. And then it was never mentioned again. Nope. This was before their, you know, ECW invasion with the Paul Heyman King debate before King goes down for the, the ECW pay-per-view. This was like years before that. Before King breaks Paul Heyman's jaw. Of course. Yeah. This is just, we're in Philly. I like Paul Heyman. I like ECW. Get him on the show somehow, but only in the most minimal way possible. Yeah. We'll give a nod to you, but that's it. Not a, I mean, the shittiest of nods. Yeah. A local wrestling promotion is here trying to make a name for themselves. Not even calling them ECW. And I consider, I, I could be completely wrong, this is just strictly stipulation on my part. I consider this being the point in time where Vince starts signing the checks over and saying, hey, we'll, we'll use you as a... Uh, Developmental, it's a developmental ground, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, that's my opinion. I could be, like I said, completely I could be wrong. But, you know, getting the hot start here right in 96, I think Vince, Well, they're in, getting in air quotes, Vince paid for barely legal in my opinion. Well, and they're currently getting their ass kicked by WCW, so they're just looking for any kind of spark, you know? They're looking for their own... I'm sure he contemplated having an invasion, you know, like the NWO invaded, because we had a... (laughs) We had, uh, you know, Diesel and Razor invade the WWF tonight and beat up someone backstage. we're going to see them tomorrow night on Monday Night Raw. Yes, you heard me right. Diesel and Razor... They're back. They they're never back. left. They they only went down to cause trouble, and they're back. So I'm sure the thought must have crossed his mind about actually doing the same thing that WCW did with the ECW guys. I guess he thought, you know what, fuck it, I'll just have my own Razor Ramon and Diesel, and then it just kind of, this, this ECW thing, invasion, it's so convoluted, it's so weird, it's just one of those weird things in pro wrestling that, yeah. something you never see today, they never have, like, oh, we're in, we're in Chattanooga, and we got invaders from the TWE, a local organization, <laughs> trying to make their name for themselves, like, just bizarre, but, you, you know, know. what, no, somebody, now, a wrestling promotion, if they jump the guardrail, and did They so- get their ass kicked. But I'm just saying, in there, in there, two two or three guys buys a front row ticket to a Monday Night Raw. <laughs> Dolph now they're gonna get arrested. Dolph Ziggler's walking to the ring, and you jump the guardrail and you start bullshitting, kicking his ass, get arrested, but get hauled out of there. That, my friends, is making a name for yourself. You'll make headlines, and yeah. that right there gets your product out there. So you're encouraging fans to jump Absolutely. the bear. Yes, go for it. Absolutely. Yes. No, you Break jump, the law. You jump, you jump the guardrail on my ass, I'm kicking your ass. I'm just telling you, keep keep me out of it. But yeah, no, you want to jump Triple H, by all means, take off. I want to see that. So meanwhile, there's a wrestling match still going on. Bradshaw gets three of the buckles before Savio back suplexes him to stop him. Savio whips Bradshaw several times, like a government mule, as JR would say. Savio gets three buckles before Bradshaw stops him. Savio gets two buckles before Bradshaw lands a big boot and stops him again. Clothesline from hell puts Savio down. Bradshaw goes and hits the buckles. Savio, of course, this is WWF strap match here, guys. He goes behind him and just hits the buckles right behind him. Bradshaw is inches away from the fourth buckle, but accidentally catapults Savio into the fourth buckle and costs himself the match. Bradshaw, you are a moron, and Savio Vega wins the match. Congratulations, and a a shitty opening match here. What was the best part of this match? The best part of this match was the beer spitting uh, from uh, the Sandman. Yeah. yeah, that was the I only agree. thing of note. I agree, one hundred and ten percent. Well, it's just like any time, like I mentioned last time we watched a well Super Clash's strap match. They don't compare these strap matches. Don't compare no. to the NWA strap matches from the eighties. No, because Wahoo fucked him up with that strap. Well, yeah, that would even be a better strap match than this. But I don't like. I don't like the hitting of the post way. I just like I like the idea of them being tied together and just beating the hell out with the cowbell in the middle. Yeah, I like that better than the the hitting of the post because yeah. they do it the same way every time. Yeah, I would pick any strap match over this one. This one wasn't even worthy of being on Raw. I don't. Think. It, no, I don't. I don't. It, this and should have been Dutch Mantel uh, did nothing in this match. Yeah. Why even bring Why? a manager out? But I mean, Dutch Mantel still in good shape. Yeah, 
He was still walking around still fine. No hover perf- around. Could do perfectly fine with a lot of stuff. Why was he not doing something? Why yeah. was he not involved in some way? Why did he not get especially if, once by if the... Bradshaw's a shitty heel, too, because he employed no heel tactics. He had his heel manager there. Yeah. Did nothing. Lost the match clean. That yeah. was it. Yeah. <laughs> so... James E. Cornette, he's been cutting promos on Jose Lothario. You know why? Because he's old. He's old. He's old as hell. He's 100 million years old. So we're going to have a match tonight. Meanwhile, fake Razor Ramon and Diesel attack Savio Vega in the back. Oh, my goodness. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall have come back to the company. They have. But they weren't shown on camera, so we're just we're left to assume they, they ran off before the camera could catch up with them. So Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are going to have contracts later tonight shoved in front of their face, and they will sign for an additional million dollars each. That's right. That's exactly... Uh, just for a little piece of wrestling history there. Time Warner would think, oh my gosh. Would fly them to Atlanta... To re-up their con, give them more money. Yeah, to have a hard contract signed. So way to go, WWF! You got your guys paid more (laughs) by the competition. I still think that might be kayfabe, but I I do believe a little bit of it that WCW is actually concerned. Cornette, I I mean uh, uh, Bischoff doing it. I can believe I can believe every damn word of it. You know what's weird? Jim Cornette coming out to Vader time is very weird, but even weirder is Jose Lothario coming out to Sexy Boy. Well, the fact that Cornette's in red spandex. Yes, you heard me right. Red spandex. Yes, he is uh, a man not meant for spandex. He cuts a promo in the ring, and guess what? Says the same fucking thing he told us earlier. Jose Lothario is old. Guess what? We know. And Jose comes out to Sexy Boy, and it is so fucking weird. It, it reminds is. me of WrestleMania 12 when he came out to Sexy Boy. <laughs> Cornette immediately goes to comedy selling mode for Jose's basic offense. Jose at 62, what's funny about this, they have a 62-year-old man fighting on a company that made fun of Hogan and Macho Man for being old while they were in their 40s. <laughs> they had, you know, Hogan and Nacho Man, the, the Huckster and Nacho Man. Oh, they're too old. They're too damn old. You know what we need? 62-year-old Jose Lothario. Get him in there. He's a sexy boy. (laughs) Jose hits an uppercut and then just stumbles sort of on Cornette and gets the win in under a minute. So the blood feud has been settled. Oh, God. I I loved this match. I thought it was very funny and entertaining. Good little spot. Not meant for a pay-per-view. Really? No. It has no place on a pay-per-view. I enjoyed it. I I thought so. The Superstar line features Mark Merrill and Sable and Farouk and Sonny. Call now. Uh, only $1.99 a minute. Get your parents' permission before calling. Mr. Perfect thinks Farouk will win the Intercontinental Championship tomorrow on Raw. He would be wrong. The loose cannon Brian Pillman is out to the ring next. Bret Hart calls him a liar, and he says he's not showing up tonight. And Owen is a liar, too, as Bret Hart pre-taped a promo to tell us all of this. What a fuck you to the crowd. This is supposed to be babyface Bret Hart saying, Nah, I'm not going to show up tonight. I don't like Brian Pillman. I don't like Owen Hart. He's a liar. Uh, here's my pre-tape promo. I'll see you in a few months. <laughs> I just thought this was shitty. Like, Lonesome Dove is too, too important for him to leave. Well, I just thought that why even include Bret Hart's part in here? Like, Have just Brian Pillman come out and cut the promo on Bret or whatever. It's true. Pillman calls Philadelphia a sewer. Pillman then brings out Owen Hart with his Slammy Award. 
Someone has an Owen King of Farts sign. How original. Owen says, Brett has finally come around to accepting that Owen is the best heart. And, you know, Owen's got a point because Brett's too scared to even show up to an in-your-house pay-per-view. Owen says, Brett won't be here because he's scared of Stone Cold Steve Austin. As you mentioned, here are all these storylines converging, as now Stone Cold Steve Austin is brought out by Brian Pillman and Owen Hart. This, just... If you put the letter S in front of Hitman, you know my exact impression of Bret Hart. Uh, a line he loved to use in 1996. <laughs> Bret doesn't qualify as a chicken, says Stone Cold. He's the excrement that comes out of a chicken's rectum. So a chicken shit. And then he, yes, uses that infamous shitman line, which Vince apologizes for. <laughs> Stone Cold doesn't give a rat's ass about anybody, but apparently he does because he walked out to talk about somebody, so that's a lie. He says he'll whip Bret Hart's ass because Stone Cold said so. And then uh, Pillman gets in the last word and says, and Philadelphia sucks because Pillman said so. And then they all leave. There you go. Not the best work from Brian Pillman here. They the loose cannon wasn't as loose as no, I thought he I, should uh, have been. I wish I wanted ECW Brian Pillman to really cut into these guys. Oh well, I mean, I don't want him taking his dick out and peeing in the. Well, no, and I don't. Rain, he doesn't but... need to say you know fuck you and fuck you marks and all this stuff. But I thought that very strange parade here of promos like Pillman is out to introduce a Bret Hart pre-tape, who then introduces an Owen coming out who then introduces austin and the guy they're all focused on is nowhere to be found and they're putting a lot of money on getting brett back i feel like they well they where sean took over yes they needed to remind you of brett hart they needed to remind you of brett number one and they needed brett back i feel like they were seeing very quickly with Star power was lacking. Star yes. power was leaving, and it was it was jumping ship quick with with Hall and Nash. And but not needed- only that, I mean, you look up and down this card, like the opening match, for example. Neither of those guys look like stars. The smoking guns don't look like stars. No, the guys that look like stars are nowhere to be found, and so you need a guy that's a star to come back. And but I think incorporating him this way made him look. Like a coward, it made him look pretty bad for someone you're billing as the returning hero, the babyface or whatever. Yeah. As I'll just send in a tape. Yeah, I'm gonna because it makes him look like a chicken shit. Just yeah. like uh, it, may, it puts Austin as a likable heel here, yeah. kind of, which is the direction they would go anyway. So maybe they're planting seeds here. You know, maybe I'm I'm just not in. You know, onto the long term plan they had here, but. Um, a very, yeah, bizarre kind of uh, trio of promos here. Especially because we'd see Owen later on the, the night, so... very The very next... <laughs> I don't even think... Did he oh, walk back up the aisle? Yeah, that was weird to me. Yeah, no, he, he had enough time between the Mark Henry promo of Mark Henry taking in the sights and sounds of Philadelphia. To walk back up the aisle to have his music played to come down the aisle again. With Bulldog, With yes. Bulldog. But Mark Henry first had to show us Philadelphia, show us the Liberty Bell, and pet a horsey, because he's America. But he you know is what? now Lex Luger. But you know what? Something was missing. Oh, yes. That would be Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette was not in Bulldog and Owen's side. That's right. He was backstage receiving medical attention, signing some documents with his attorney. 
which uh, Clarence Mason. Clarence Mason, that's right. So Owen and Bulldog are in a tag championship match, and Cornette is backstage uh, receiving his uh, medical attention, signing some legal documents. The Smoking Guns are the champions. They're out with Sonny. The giant Sonny poster, which we've all come to love, has been defaced by Owen and Bulldog with a Sharpie. They snuck into the arena earlier today. They knew when the poster was going to be raised, and they sat there all afternoon with their Sharpies and drew a beard on poor Sonny's And gave her black hair. That's right, and a goatee and a mustache. Just a terrible, terrible uh, crime. Vandals. Really, they should be uh, prosecuted. But I do like that they dedicate the uh, poster to Bulldog and Owen. Love, Sonny. Yeah. <laughs> at the bottom of the poster. Yeah, I thought that was pretty entertaining as well. So Clarence Mason apparently had signed documents of Cornette giving him access to be the manager. To be the de facto manager is what I assume. This makes me think, because Sonny sold it really well, it makes me think that it was a rib that Owen pulled on. That maybe they truly didn't know that. <laughs> it would be funny if they didn't tell her that it was. If they didn't be tell her, it could have. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because you see Bulldog, they cut to Bulldog, and he's rolling, laughing his ass off. It is funny. I mean, it's 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 quite funny. I, it's a simple Owen ribs. It's a very strong possibility. So while Clarence Mason comes to the ring, this distracts Owen, and he almost gets rolled up for the victory by Billy Gunn. So Billy Gunn almost sneaks away with the belts here. Owen hip-tosses Billy a few times before he regroups. We get a small package to Billy for a two-count from Owen. Bart Gunn and Bulldog tag in. Bulldog dropkicks Bart and tags Owen back in, who chop-blocks Bart Gunn, and he works Bart's leg. That would be the story of this match, as Bulldog and Owen just take turns beating the shit out of Bart Gunn's leg. Owen puts Bart in a Boston Crab, but he gets the ropes. Bulldog hits a delayed vertical suplex and a leg drop for a near fall, but Billy saves the uh, pinfall. Owen sneaks into the match without a tag, and the ref allows it, Patrick. Shame on you. And then he goes right back to work on Bart's leg. An Insiguri puts Bart down for a two-count, and Billy saves him again, which should have gotten their team DQ'd. Billy then drags Bulldog out of the ring, throws him into the steps, Billy tags in... Billy and Bart combine to hit the worst whisper in the wind I've ever seen as Billy, the Hardy Boys make this look amazing compared to what the Smoking Guns tried to do here as Billy jumped off of Bart's back to hit an axe handle and it was not anywhere in the zip code of uh, British Bulldog. Nowhere to be found. Bart and Billy hit the Sidewinder and Bulldog but own clocks Billy to say Bulldog. Bart tags in, drops some weak-looking knees to Davy Boy. Ooh, Bart, your offense here is just uh, dreadful. Another guy that had a good brawl-for-all run until he met Butterbean. Bart <laughs> tries a running power slam to beat Bulldog. Why would you do that? You know better. This is the guy that invented the move. But instead, Billy clocks Bart after Davy hops out of the uh, running power slam attempt, shoves Bart into Billy, and instead of being like, oh, I understand what just happened... Billy, you dumbass, Billy Gunn, shoves Bart Gunn like it was his fault, which shoves him into Davy Boy, who hits the running power slam, and wins the titles as Owen takes out uh, Billy with a uh, spinning heel kick. And there you go, new champs, the uh, British Bulldog and Owen Hart. And Sonny is furious. Oh, Sonny does not like this at all. She is uh, very pissed off. 
So Sonny dumps the cowboy wannabes and fires the smoking guns. I like this idea that the manager fires their client, not the other way around. Exactly. And uh, this would be uh, the smoking guns, I guess, would be uh, extinguished here. I don't. The smoking guns had exhausted as as rockabilly was right around the corner they were for Billy Guns. Yeah, here. there you go. <laughs> as uh, like I said, the the smoking guns did not look like stars. Owen and Bulldog look like stars. Yeah, there's just the difference between the two teams walking out of the curtain is just the caliber of talent in one corner way outmatched. Not only over. that, just even their attire. I mean, the smoking guns are d- two dudes in blue jeans. Yeah. Compared to these guys that look like pro wrestlers. Yeah. It looked like two fans challenging for the belts. Yeah. So, thank goodness the Smoking Guns era is over. This was a dreadful time for tag team wrestling in the WWF. And rough. Owen and Bulldog would hold on to these belts for quite some time. We were getting close to seeing the uh, about a year and a half away from the new Midnight Express. Oh, we were on our way to a lot of great things. We were having the Legion of Doom, a new up-and-coming group called the Legion of Doom would be coming in. Yeah. We'd have the New Age Outlaws coming in. We'd have the Headbangers. Yeah. Uh, we'd have the Godwins, who were already around, I think. Uh, we we had a lot of uh, great stuff. Tag Team Wrestling had gotten so low that it was about to get kicked into high overdrive. And you were about to see some, some good tag teams right around the corner. It'd take a few years. It'd You're gonna have few. to wait. Yeah. Uh, this a was while. this was the lowest in tag team wrestling. I feel like for quite a while. Oh, I mean, I think it was a little bit lower before this with like Men on a Mission. Oh, I think. Yeah. yeah. So That's true. we're still clawing our way out of That's out true. of the new gen era, but we're getting closer. Paul Bearer is, and I've noticed WWE does that. Is they'll go like ten yes. years. Ten years of great tag team wrestling, then it just drops off for five or six, and then back up for ten. I don't even think it's as long as ten, but I think they're going through that right now on Raw. Really, is they just peaks and valleys when it when it's tag team wrestling's on, it's great, and when it's not, man, they can't dig, they can't throw a tag team match together to save their life. And when they're, and what's crazy is they they take. Teams like American Alpha, they break them up before they get going. They take yeah. a team like the Revival, they're jobbers. They take a team like the Ascension, they're jobbers. Then they take random singles wrestlers and throw them together instead yeah. of taking these guys that they they can't be. I'm sorry, you know, Connor and Victor are not going to be singles stars. We talked about Show Miz and Rated RKO, but both teams were actually teams for what two months. Yeah, exactly. I mean. And then there's guys along the lines of, you know, the Dudleys, the Hardys. They they were they finally clawed their way out, but there was a lot of other tag teams. Kane and RVD were a great tag team that I feel like never got what they really showed. But uh, again, it was two guys just kind of randomly thrown together. They worked really well together. Booker T and Goldust. Yeah, uh, another thing they just stumbled into. Yeah, but it was just thrown together because. No, we don't have any tag teams anymore. Yeah. We just don't do that. No one's a team. You know, no. no one can be friends. Paul Bearer is with Kevin Kelly and delivers a Paul Bearer promo that Mankind will be the WWF champion. Oh, yes! Exactly. Mankind lives to make Sean and his clique feel his pain. Have a nice day. Jerry Lawler, 
then comes to the ring and cuts a promo on Philadelphia. He threw coffee on Mark Henry, which we all know in WWF is good enough for a feud. That's right. We've seen this multiple times as coffee is key to starting a feud. Well, Eric Bischoff threw it on a lot of people in WCW, so... Lawler says he's going to teach Henry a wrestling lesson. He's going to put on a headlock, and he says, Henry, he's too stupid to get out of it. So, there you go. There's my strategy for the match. Henry comes in in his America gear, as he is America, despite letting us down in the Olympics and not meddling at all. <laughs> Kurt Angle would steal his entire thunder when he debuted a couple years later, but... <laughs> When they signed Henry, he was a favorite going into the weightlifting competition in the Olympics, and they thought they were going to get this, you know, gold medal, silver medal, a star. They thought they were signing a a gold. They thought they were signing. A, That's why they gave a, him a ten year deal before stepping foot into an, a wrestling. An Olympic gold medalist. They thought they were getting a cheap, an Olympic gold medalist on the cheap. Is what they. Oh thought. yeah, and they sent him up to you know the Hart Dungeon. This guy oh, was yeah. trained by Stu Hart. Yeah. And they thought, they thought, oh, we stole this one. We yeah. stole this one. Yeah. This guy is going to be great <laughs> things. We see the future. We drop Nailed the ball. Nailed it. Shoot well, nothing but air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A swing and a miss from the WWF here yeah. as Mark Henry. I thought it was funny. So he's got his America tights on, yet he seemed to not know anything about Philadelphia, the Liberty Bell, or horses, uh, but yet is America. And they had just done this a couple of years ago with Lex Luger, you know. Oh, chill, yeah. Chill it on the America thing for a minute. Yeah, he's the next Lex Luger. After this match, I think they realized uh, what they got themselves into. Burger King chants, of course, as they will never end for Jerry the King Lawler. And Henry puts Lawler in a headlock. Oh, my goodness. He knows a move. Yeah. And he shoves Lawler into the buckles. Henry press slams King, who looks scared shitless of this man doing oh, this to Oh, God, him. because he throws him up, and he doesn't have a good grip and good balance. And King gets dropped almost on his neck. <laughs> Legendary Jerry the King Lawler using his his brain and rolling to his side as quick as possible to save from breaking his neck. Boy, for uh, this was this was a green, and I mean grass just got cut freshly green. Mark Henry. Well, for the second match in three weeks, we've seen... So he wrestled Kerry Von Erich, who was high as a kite. That was pretty dangerous. <laughs> and now he's wrestling this massive <laughs> weightlifter, the world's strongest the man who has did, never... How, the, how does he always find himself in these situations? And how does he get out unscathed, too? That's <laughs> yeah. what I want to know. He said so many fucking close calls. Like, one of these had to have caught him at some they point. They always time. send him in there with a very dangerous worker. Right. Not dangerous like you know violent dangerous yeah. but dangerous from inexperience or being high yeah and he always yeah. makes it out. he makes it work he, just he escapes makes it he's work. an escape I artist i love king i just i really do so the camera zooms in on henry's big legs and vince loses it. oh look at those tree trunks <laughs> so he loves his legs henry vince is slight he's salivating at the mouth oh well this would not be the orgasm he reaches for Shawn michaels later in the night <laughs> but this he loved his tree trunk legs here henry sidesteps king charging at him and jerry the king lawler i'm not joking ends up doing a suicide dive <laughs> through the ropes Holy into the guardrail shit yeah. and might be the only one he ever did he doesn't grab the ropes no 
he it's it almost makes me think that Henry pushed pushed him too hard and he overshoots the ropes and goes into the guardrail and he literally once again legendary king thinking smart rolls with it and catches his back instead of catching yeah. his, his ribs yeah, was, so oh God. I just couldn't believe I saw Jerry the King Lawler do a suicide dive. <laughs> Inadvertently, but he did it. Lawler pulls out the knucks out of his tights, nails Henry in the jaw with them twice. No sells him. So why even pull out the fucking knucks if this guy's not going to sell him? Henry puts Lawler in an over-the-shoulder torture rack and wins. And... Gosh, Lawler was probably just like, good, it's over, I can go home now. I, got, I, got I can walk and breathe still, I'm getting the fuck out of here. So he did, but you know what, that wasn't the end for Mark Henry. We really gotta put this guy over, so send in the jobbers. Here come the new rockers out to stop Mark Henry, as well as Triple H. All, th- all three of these guys, Americans who apparently hate America, as they want to take out Mark Henry, American hero. Henry press slams Triple H onto the new rockers who are out on the floor. And then we get massive pyro, like Mark Henry just won the Super Bowl <laughs> for this... You're new yeah. WWF World Heavyweight Champion. Oh, wait, sorry. So bizarre. Just, uh... <laughs> Too soon, man. Too soon. Way. Way too soon. Just, uh, I mean, Lawler did the best he could with him, but he... Yeah, yeah Lawler could wrestle a turd and make it great, but I he had a rough go around with this one. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I'm, I hate to be harsh on Mark Henry, but he did not improve very much in the 20-plus <laughs> career of Hall of Famer Mark Henry here. Just... Give it, give it, uh, give it a few more years and sexual chocolate will at least entertain you verbally and you'll get a little something out of Mark Henry because you ain't getting shit now. Well, you get a little something out of Mae Young as she gave birth to a hand. Buried Alive next month is our pay-per-view and it's between Mankind and Taker and there's no title on the line. It's unsanctioned because, you know, they have to explain that as to not spoil the result of tonight's main event because if they build it as a title match, well, that would tell you the ending. Uh, So Mankind and Taker have a a match next month, Buried Alive. So uh, whatever happens tonight, don't worry about that. That's not important. Tune in next month. Mankind helped Goldust win the Intercontinental Belt. Then Mankind broke through the ring and dragged Undertaker straight to hell, as Undertaker, for some reason, was interested in the Intercontinental Belt, which is hard to believe, (laughs) but Mankind drug Undertaker under the ring, and Goldust won the belt. I don't believe Taker ever held the Intercontinental title, did he? He did not. I think that's true. But I think it's weird that he would be even... Why would he be interested in that? The the WWF title and the Hardcore title and the tag titles. I believe that's it. I don't think he had any other... No European, no nothing else. So he had Big Goldie and the WWE belt. Yeah. Was he the undisputed champ? He was. Wow. So he he's had all the everything but the IC belt yeah. and the US belt. Yeah. But that would have been the hardcore title and the tag titles, and that was it. Well, he needs to drop down to two hundred five and get that cruiserweight belt to, <laughs> I would love, to really complete I, that legacy. I would love to see Undertaker if Undertaker was on two hundred five. Just for one night, you realize that 205 Live would just shoot in rankings because people would tune in. What what midget is Taker going to throw over into the fans? I would love to see guys bounce around Undertaker. Sure, I mean at this point he's pretty immobile. They'd it'd be just it'd be a great. I mean it'd be a great little spot. That's true. Bear turned on Taker at SummerSlam. Purple gloved Undertaker is out to take on Gold Dust. 
and immediately hits a double choke throw and a leg drop. Goldust rolls out to regroup with Marlena. Marlena slaps Taker, who no-sells it. He's not selling that shit from the lady. Nope. Hits a swinging neck breaker, and Taker just immediately does a sit-up spot. Not selling shit tonight. Taker hits a vertical suplex to Goldust, hits old school to Goldust, throws Goldust outside, and Marlena gives him a bag of something. What is this bag? A bag of cocaine, perhaps? Meanwhile, she distracts Taker, who er earlier in the match didn't seem to care for her at all. Now he's distracted by her. And Goldust hits Taker in the face with Goldust. Wow. It's so literal. This has Vince Russo written all over it. What would Goldust use as a weapon? Golden dust. (laughs) So he throws glitter at Undertaker, which... That shit went everywhere. And it would reappear in the main event as well as it did not get swept up like they do now. And now they're very quick to clean up any kind of mess. Or you know? just fucking roll them out off and you got to yeah, new under. No, this this glitter was going to be with us tonight. I just love the idea that glitter will take down an undead zombie. <laughs> like, golden glitter is what does him in. Like, this man has been buried alive, crucified, set on fire, done everything. Golden glitter. No one ever tried that one before. That's right. That's right. It's his kryptonite. This allows Goldust to get some offense on Taker, as you know, we can't have Taker sell for him any other way, (laughs) as Taker does apparently have eyes and does not like glitter in them. Goldust hits a lariat for a two-count. Goldust goes for a side headlock, but Taker suplexes out of it. Goldust uses the Von Erich claw for a moment, but Taker gets right out of it. Goldust hits a power slam for two. Taker hits his signature flying clothesline. Choke slams Goldust off the top turnbuckle. Calls for the tombstone. Hits it and wins. He won this match basically blind. Pretty impressive. Shitty for Goldust, but very impressive for Taker. And even though he was blind, he still had time to do his pose after the match and knew exactly where to look uh, to do it. So, uh, turns out Golden Glitter does not stop an undead zombie. So does not. No. Goldust, like I say, I don't know that this was the right spot for him. Uh, I feel like, well, you did have a good heel in Austin that was in the making, but, uh, you know, Austin is going to be a cool heel. Uh, Mankind, obviously, a good heel. Uh, You know, they had kind of, they had softened, after SummerSlam, Vader was, they'd given up on making Vader a big heel. So I think Goldust, it was kind of giving up on Goldust here as, as a potential heel, you know, a maniacal heel. I, I think he could have gotten out of this match without just taking a tombstone and losing. Yeah. I mean, even if Taker has to resort to choke slam. a choke slam, a count out win, some, something vicious, but still Goldust is protected a little bit because like, I just feel they're a little short on heels yeah. at yeah. the time. And I guess you'd have Sid coming up too, so maybe maybe I'm overthinking this. May, I'm just a huge Gold Dust Mark, so I'm a, I'm like ah damn it, I should have gotten a win over uh, Taker here. Uh, I want to see Gold Dust main event WrestleMania one time. Still waiting for it, yeah. One time, done right, the fans would get behind it and it would be believable as hell. Well, to me, that's always my dream scenario for the Royal Rumble. As the idea is that anybody can win it. But you go in every year knowing that about six the people... Guy, yeah, the guy making his comeback from being out hurt or the the new up-and-comer is going to win it and get pushed. You know out of the 30 people, there's... I'm going to say... Six. I might even go up to ten. Yeah. Ten that have a legit shot 
at this thing. Yeah. But the other 20, you know, are just... Shock the shit out of us. Give us a, you know... The yeah, old, a surprise. The old, the old dog out of nowhere pulls one out, and here he, here he goes. A great example, probably the year that, that Yokozuna won when Macho Man nearly won, but then went for a pinfall cover and got thrown out. I mean, that that was at the point that Macho Man was already on the commentary team, so yeah. that would have been a bit of a surprise. Well, I love 2002 when him and uh, Godfather and Perfect came back. Yes. That would have been the ultimate spot to have Perfect win. Perfect had a great showing in there, too. Have Perfect win the damn thing, and Perfect out of nowhere goes to WrestleMania 18. Even if the even if the veteran, or even if the underdog, like, for, I'm just going to throw it out there, like, Zack Ryder. Yeah. Say Zack Ryder. A miracle happens, and he wins the Royal Rumble. Even if he goes to the main event and has a good showing, and and loses, it's still you can have the Rocky story, you know, yeah. basically where he did his best, like yeah. he overcame the odds, he lived yeah. the dream, he main evented WrestleMania, I think he came up short. I, I would like, love to see for if and when Goldust ever hangs it up. I would love to see that he goes all the way to the main event of WrestleMania, and I think he should he gets, lose, and he gets that close. And he loses and retires. And he, he loses and retires. He said, I gave it all I had for this one time. And, and he rides off in the sunset. Don't come back. Be gone. And let it be gone. Yeah. I, I think that would be an ultimate, an ultimate I mean, spot. on Raw 25, uh, his ex-wife Terry offered to be his valet that night. I think that would be great to even have her walk down with the cigar. Oh, God, and yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, it doesn't even have to be gold dust. I mean, no. you could do it. Within, I just think the the underdog story. The I mean, and you could say oh Daniel Bryan or whatever, but the fans wanted Daniel Bryan, just somebody out of nowhere. Yeah, and yeah, you know that night, people probably if Zack Ryder won, you probably wouldn't get a big reaction. You know why? But if you, it's all about storytelling. You, you know? know, you know why Maven. We're still, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're still talking about Maven drop. Imagine had he won that year. Yeah, had he pulled that shit out in two thousand two. Right, a kid from Tough Enough. Is going to main event WrestleMania against Stone Cold Steve Austin, Austin. yeah, and he gets that close. It's you just you can build a fucking it's movie just a, around that shit. You can build a video game around. We've that had shit. thirty years of rumbles and we've never had that story. Yeah, is that that's just crazy to yeah. me. Yeah, and that's the one story that I feel like the, the a whole universe, a whole world, not just a WWE United States era. Not just WWE, new, you know, United Kingdom side. The whole WWE universe could get behind that. Well, and I think the that's... old dog trying one last time, or this new upcomer from NXT that nobody knew, who fought and earned a spot into the into the Rumble. Son of a bitch, he's won the damn thing. And it's something that you can build up with those. Uh... Those like ten pounds of gold vignettes that yeah. built up the all-in match between yeah. Cody and Nick Aldis. That yeah. you make it, you make the people want to see it. Right. You know. Yeah. And with Goldust, I mean, think of all the footage they have. They have twenty years oh, of footage God, yeah. on this guy. Thirty uh, years of footage on this yeah, guy. Yeah. The complete story, the dusty connection, everything. Just it's right there. Just like Shawn Michaels, you know, we're gonna waste it in a tag match. It's we have all the the pieces. But we're just not going to put them together. We got we got a, you know AJ at the end of his prime. Right. I'm not going to bullshit it. AJ well, yeah, he's old. old. Like he's the same age as Hogan was as Hollywood Hogan. We got AJ at the end of his prime, but yet we still got Sean who can lace up and probably do one more great fucking match. 
put that shit together or it's one of those that like staying and taker we wish we got and we never did kevin kelly is with Shawn michaels and he is appearing to be under the influence i'm not going to speculate as to what sean was doing backstage at the night of this event but sean looked high as fuck he just gave I'm sort go- of a kevin nash promo here like kind I'm- of and he was just like, yeah, man, I am wrestling the wackiest cat in the WWF, and I'm, I'm going to get the job done, man. I am glad that you you noticed that, too, because I thought I was maybe overreaching, because that's the first thing I thought of when I was, I was like, dude, he is high as hell. It just, it's just, it's a strange like, promo to be going, you're going against this monster, so you think you're going to get like a he's sting. He's one of the wackiest cats in the <laughs> land. But you know what? I'm going to get as crazy as he does, and I'm going, what the fuck? It doesn't quite match the tone. No, it doesn't. It's like, what? Okay. Yeah, go with it. Just like, yeah. We are moments away from the match where you face Mankind. Mankind spoke earlier, saying that Paul Bear is leading him to his destiny. But, Sean, everybody in the clique knows that this is your destiny, the World Wrestling Federation title. You know, not since I won the World Wrestling Federation title have I gone out and defended this belt and been really, really nervous, you know? And the reason for that is because I feel like I can out-wrestle anybody in the World Wrestling Federation, but let's face it, I am wrestling the wackiest cat that the World Wrestling Federation has ever, ever seen. If I could go out there and wrestle him, I'd have all the confidence in the world, but you never know where this guy's coming from. So I gotta tell you, I'm a little bit jittery, I'm a little bit nervous, but one way or another, the Heartbreak Kid's gonna do what he always does, and that's find a way to get the job done. Mankind is obviously one of the most unorthodox superstars in the World Wrestling Federation history. You found out a little earlier today on Superstars, uh, could Mankind and Paul Bearer be planning some kind of plot? We've seen Paul Bearer use that casket before, many times with The Undertaker. Now that he's on uh, Mankind's side, this could spell more trouble for you. You know, uh, it's really a politically correct statement unorthodox that's very nice you know this guy is whacked as the day is long and yeah they got caskets they're playing mind games with me and believe me if there was a mind up here that you could play with you could get the job done but unfortunately there's not a whole lot upstairs when it comes to Shawn Michaels and thank goodness because otherwise I'd really really be in trouble and I'm already nervous enough as it is mankind Paul Bear one way (laughs) I really don't know how up to this point, I'm about to walk up to the ring, and I've got no idea how it is I'm going to deal with you two. I guess I'll just think on the job, I suppose. All right. Thank you very much. World Wrestling Federation champion, Shawn Michaels. Uh, it was it was very... Uh, he was high as hell. Had to. Be. If not, then there was... Shawn even it. says, hey, you know, you know we're playing mind games? Well, I don't have a lot in my mind at all to play with. <laughs> so, he can't play mind games with me. I think what cracks me up is he, he's one of the wackiest cats in the land, and I'm like, who the fuck says that? Like, <laughs> where do you pull that shit out of your ass from? Cause he's I've like never... in the 50s. Yeah, he like, trans- like who the fuck is- He's a wacky, zany cat. The druids bring down Uh-oh. a casket. Uh-oh. Despite this not being a casket match. Nope. Paul Bearer comes out with Mankind, who pops out of the casket. Surprise. The Heartbreak Kid and Jose Lothario are out next. Jose wearing his same entrance jacket that he wore in his match with Cornette earlier that night. Well, he only brought one set of (laughs) gear. A woman in the crowd holds up a sign that says, Playgirl's Man of the Year. This was the year Shawn Michaels was Playgirl's Man of the Year that Brett would use in their feud in 97. The picture of him with uh, my winged eagle around his uh, uh, junk there. Yeah. 
Now, Vince, when Sean comes up, my goodness. Oh, my God. That's, look at the boyhood dream. He's amazing. Sean Michaels. <laughs> Just loses his shit for Shawn Michaels. He, he is in love. He does. And Shawn, to appease Vince, I believe, uh, was a little uh, bulked up here. He was uh, jacked for was Shawn jacked. Michaels. Uh, you know, I mean, he was jacked in his Rockers run, but this was a uh, pretty big Shawn Michaels here. Mankind on the he other hand. He was cut. Yeah. Like, he was not like. He was cut, man. Dude, he had eight pack my ass. He had like a fucking twelve pack going. That shit was he was chiseled. Mankind looks okay. This would be before he would be completely broken in the WWF. Mankind hits a huge back body drop to Michaels, then does his signature clothesline over the ropes with Michaels, throws Michaels to the guardrail, rips up the ring mats to expose concrete. He doesn't like these pussy ring mats. He's used to Bill Watts WCW where we don't have those. So he exposes the concrete and unfortunately gets drop kicked onto concrete by Shawn Michaels as we have Mick Foley falling on concrete yet again. And then, while the mat falls down on top of him, Shawn just starts jumping on him. Yeah, gonna go ahead and stomp him under the mats on the concrete. Squishing him under the mats. Then, Shawn says, you know, that's not good enough. So he climbs to the top turnbuckle and hits a crossbody. Uh, to mankind on the concrete. Yes. And then says, you know what? That's not enough either. I'm going to take your head now, Mick Foley, and slam it into the concrete. He so. does. He gets on the ring ring apron and jumps off the side and slams Mick Foley's head into concrete. It is disturbingly obvious. Mick loves concrete. That his head bounces like a basketball. They get back in the ring. Michaels hits an axe handle smash. Michael goes for his big elbow drop from across the ring. Man, he sailed across the ring to hit the elbow. And he got it. He got it. Time to tune up the band. We're going home early tonight, folks. He's tuning up the band. He goes to hit it, but Mick bails to the outside. Oh, yes. To the concrete where he's most at home. Mick gets back in the ring, and Michaels and Mick descend into brawling. Mick puts on the cross-faced chicken wing and tries to work the mandible claw into Sean's mouth, but it doesn't work. Then Sean lands some strikes from full guard as they're doing a bit of MMA here as uh, Mick is on his back. Mick takes Hugo's Spanish announce table and moves it and you know what? Sean says fuck that and leaps over it and clotheslines Mick Foley. Then Sean snap suplexes Mick's leg into the steel steps which is a spot I've seen him take before and it makes me cringe every single time. His His knee just buckles. It is disturbing. Then Michaels chop blocks him when they get back into the ring, and it works Mick's leg on the casket. Michaels focuses on Mick's leg, stomps it, shoves Earl Hebner as Michael gets a little heelish here, but not too heelish because he seems to do this in every match that he's in. Always with the cameraman, the ref, for your your baby face. Yeah, he just does not like these guys. Well, it kind of reminds me when Earl was putting the title on him at WrestleMania 12 and shoved him away too. 
Such an asshole. He is. He was a prick, man. <laughs> if he wasn't so talented, he would be one of my most hated wrestlers. But he is just so talented when it's time to perform. Russian leg whip to Mick's leg, and he locks on a figure four to some woos from the crowd. Mick brawls his way out of it. Michaels goes back to dropping knees on Mankind's bad leg and then wrenches in a half-crab, but Mick gets the ropes. Mick drops Sean throat first across the ropes, puts on a blatant choke, and smacks Sean against the casket. Jim Ross is in love with this match, as Mick Foley is his boy, his project, and is putting on a great show. Mick hits a running knee into Sean's face in the corner. Sean hits a belly-to-back on Mick, tries to fire up, but Mick cuts him off and delivers a headbutt and some kicks. Sean is now covered in gold dust glitter from earlier in the night. It doesn't seem to affect him the way it did Undertaker. Michaels gets hung in the tree of woe, and Mick drops elbows directly to Sean Michaels' head. Mick boots HBK out of the ring, charges at Michaels, but runs into the steps. Michaels tries to suplex Mick to the floor, but Mick flips out and gets run into the post instead. A power slam to Mick from Sean for a two-count. Mick hangs himself in the ropes that took his ear off yep. a few years earlier. He hangs himself purposely in the ropes to lure Sean to him to hit him with the mandible claw. He's got it on there. Brilliant strategy by Mankind. Both men then just crash to the floor. Michaels goes outside to get Mick to bring him back in, but gets the mandible claw, and he escapes by flinging Mick into the guardrail. Michaels then, the face, remember, grabs a steel chair and... And Dex Mech in the back, leg, and the hand. The hand he uses for the mandible claw. That's right. And what was odd was that Bear was the one distracting the ref. Because yeah. it wasn't Jose. Jose was on the other side of the ring. So Earl was being distracted by Paul Bear. I guess Bear thought Mankai could take the punishment. I don't know. They get back into the ring and now Sean decides to destroy Mick's mandible claw hand. He stomps it. And stomps it, it. Snaps it. Bites it. I mean, he's trying everything. Mick back body drops HBK to the floor. Then he hits his elbow drop to the concrete, where he loves to work. Hits a swinging neck breaker to Michaels on the concrete. They get back in the ring. Double arm DDT, and both men are down. Mankind finally crawls over him for a two count. Then hits a nasty pile driver for a two count. Then he tries a few roll-ups for near falls. This was kind of reminiscent of the Iron Man match, where it was just scrambling for... For falls. For a flick pin, yeah. yeah, the Rick Rude uh, steamboat match we watched. Mankind then starts flinging chairs into the ring, and Earl just calmly grabs him and puts him back out of the ring. <laughs> it was weird. So he's like flinging these chairs in the ring. I'm like, these will surely come into play. And Earl just is like folding them up and putting them back away. <laughs> like, okay. Mankind then tries to put Sean in the casket, which is not how you would win the match. Uh, so I don't know the strategy here. HBK hits a flying clothesline, kips up, hit, hits a slam on Mankind, then hits a top rope crossbody, goes upstairs again, gets crotched, Mick Foley then back suplexes Sean off the turnbuckle, through Hugo Savinovich's table. Sean rolls with it. Yes. And turns it into a crossbody, and they crash through the Mexican announce table, the Spanish announce table, sorry. They crash through the Spanish announce table as he rolls with it, and it is a huge highlight of this match for sure. And it really didn't get a huge pop from no. this crowd. It was kind of weird. Not it was, like it should have gotten. Yeah. Because yeah. they didn't do a lot of this stuff. Now every match. Yeah. That that table's a goner. They get back into the ring and Mick is like, you know what? I'm going to take a chair in with me. And this was not a good idea. As he would get on the top turnbuckle and take a super sweet chin music as Sean super kicks him through the chair to the face. Mick hits the mat. 
Michaels goes to cover him, but Vader runs in, breaks it up, and the match is thrown out. Bear then blasts Michaels with the urn, then Sid comes out to fight Vader, Mandible Claw to Sean, then Taker pops out of the casket. If, if there's a casket around, Undertaker will appear in it. That's just a Somehow. rule of wrestling. How the fuck did he get in there? Because we opened it back up. We saw Foley come out. Right. We opened it back up to put Sean in once before. Sean's in it. Sean bounces right back out before the door's shut. How did the Taker get in the casket? Do you think he was under the thing the whole time? I think it's because it's double deep. Yeah. I think it's a false bottom and he swapped out. Yeah. I would imagine that. But that would suck, man, to be that's out there a, that whole time. Exact Right after your match, too. You're yeah. all sweaty. You got gold dust in your eyes. That's going to be hard as hell. But I, that's the only way I can figure they pulled that one out. Yeah, because it's hard to hide The Undertaker. Yeah, you can't hide a 6'10", 300-pounder. That's, I mean, that's difficult. So Taker pops out of the casket and takes out Mankind and chases him away to save Shawn Michaels's. The two faces here are aligned. Sean then just grandstands and hot dogs for ages. It's like we ended <laughs> early tonight. Ages. And, I mean, this guy just parties like he just won WrestleMania 12 again. And uh, that's the end of the night for that's us. Uh, this match, I really enjoyed this match because it was the most offense they gave to Sean's. It was like a 50-50 match. It was one of the few Shawn Michaels matches that he I've sold. watched. And he actually... Yes. He actually, for fear, you thought if this was going, if you're going into this match and you didn't know the outcome, you thought going into it fearfully, mankind is probably going to win the damn title tonight. Well, There's especially they're billing Barry Alive next month yeah. with mankind in it. It yeah. would make sense to, for yeah. him to have the belt. Yeah. In a pay-per-view, by the way, which Shawn Michaels would be left off of. He would have a dark match next month. Defending the title. Against Goldust, who lost. So if you lose, you get a title match. That's how it we works. Just, we took the two main events swapped them out. swapped them out. Booking we 101. Only, we only televised one, though. We didn't televise That's true, yet. yeah. Um, no, but I really liked it because it was Shawn in peril. And usually in Shawn Michaels' matches... I don't ever feel like he's... And this is something that happens even today. When when Roman Reigns, when the champ, when yeah. the babyface champ, when John Cena, I never feel like he's in much peril. And this was a match that I felt like Shawn Michaels was in peril. Yeah. Where he resorted to heel tactics. Where he, he was... He did whatever it took just to get out of that match with the title. It had nothing to do with surviving. It's just get the hell out of there with the title and not look back. Yeah, and he sold properly yeah, for mankind. Absolutely. He didn't. He didn't throw hissy fits. He seemed to really respect Mick's ability. He did, and uh, I think that's probably what made the match work more than uh, the match he had with Vader or with Bulldog or any of those guys. Is that I think he really respected Mick because both of these guys are some of the, the. I think these two guys are the best in-ring performers, but for totally different reasons. Yeah, like Sean. Sean's willing to do anything. To, to get a crowd to, to pop, Mick will do anything to get it. That, right. That's a big difference. Well, I think Sean has so much athletic ability, and he has so much talent, and he can he can, he can can do anything, and Mick Foley will, will sell for anything. Yeah. He'll go along for anything. Yeah. He's down for whatever. Yeah. He'll put you over Mega, or he'll look like a beast, whatever you want. Yeah. And, when those, it was just a perfect combination of these right. two guys that were in their prime, and it's really, really a shame that we didn't get more of 
more matches with these two guys yeah. together because uh, Sean's back injury would kind of take that away from us, sadly. Right. And then Mick, of course, calling it quits right after that, yeah, this basically. This is pretty much their only match ever. Yeah, and I wanted more. Yeah. I mean, I wanted... It, I, it left you thinking, damn, these two put on a hell of a match. We need a rematch. Right. Like, but instead, we really, he, he spun off he with... He spun off with Taker. Sean spun off with Psycho Sid. And, unfortunately, the paths never crossed again. This was the one and only time. And uh, it it's just... It's unbelievable. I mean, it, it, I really really enjoy this match. I'm one of my top tens. Yeah. Personally. I, I think the ending really gives it a sour taste because yeah. it's a fuck finish. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that... And I mean, Mick didn't lose here because it was a DQ finish, but he could have at least like hit him with a chair or something. You know, just some way for Mick to get a little something Mick more. stayed in... Yeah, Mick somehow or another has got Sean in terror and then... Out of nowhere, Taker pops up out of the casket. Right, Instead yeah. Instead of Sean battling this side and mixed down, you know. Because, yeah, really what happened was that someone cost Sean the victory. He was about to win. Yeah. So, it, you know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. I just, yeah, the ending kind of is. There's a lot of great matches I enjoy that have, you know, Bad Blood 97 with Kane ripping the door off is not a great ending to an otherwise, I think, oh, phenomenal match. Hands down, one of the best matches in Sean and Taker in their run together. And uh, this is this is sort of like that match, too, where if you just take away the ending, I just think it's, it's an it's awesome match. match. Oh, yeah. I loved a spot that something so brilliant like Foley asking for that little that pencil and stabbing his own leg and they're going he's crazy what the hell's he doing no he's not he's stabbing his own leg to get feeling back in it it's just oh wow well i really enjoyed uh sean diving over the spanish announce table to hit a clothesline or whatever oh yeah you know most people they'd run around the ring or they'd go off the turnbuckle. He was like, no, I'm just going to dive right over this. Yeah, very well done. Yeah, and it didn't seem so forced with the, the using of the table and the plunder. You know, it's, yeah. it just seemed like Sean was a, a desperate champion, that I need to get out of this match. Yeah. I'm in over my head. Yeah, and this is this is a competitor that I'm not sure I can actually cleanly walk away as the victor. i got to do whatever it takes to get in, get out. He's a wacky cat, man. He's, He's a wacky cat. He's one of the wackiest cats in the land. Uh, so, overall, this pay-per-view, uh, this one's kind of a tough one to rate for me because I think it's a one-match show, uh, hands down. I uh, would not waste my time with... Oh, I know you're going to love Jim Cornette and Jose Lothario for a I minute. I thought that was enjoyable. Um... Owen Bulldog, I loved to death, but I hated the tag match. I really did. I oh, well, the smoking guns The smoking stunk. guns dropped the ball. Henry did not need to be in the ring at this point in time, and kudos to King for pulling that match out. Uh, you could have... I can see putting that on there. Really, the matches to check out is Cornette and Lothario. Kind of a shame they didn't let uh, Austin wrestle on this ma- on this card. Yeah. That that would have been nice. Uh, you need to check out. We had Jake the Snake on a dark match. We I had a lot loved of... to have had that Jake and, and Hunter. That would have been a great. Yeah, Hunter was not featured. They had a lot of uh, undercard talent that 
wasn't used. Yeah, the the undercard, the uh, the dark matches were held a lot better than what I would love to have seen them in spite of seeing JBL, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, against Savio, Savio in that shitty-ass strap match. Man, that was terrible. Yeah. And I, I, I would love to have seen it over King and, and Henry. And I don't mean that against Henry. It's just that he did not need to be anywhere near a ring. I still think he doesn't need to be very close to a ring. And and the tag team titles, that was just that was a bad match. I, I wonder I who had the... Uh, oh, right. The IC belt would be decided on Raw the next night. That would have been a... Farouk, throw him on there. Have that match tonight. I know you hate Mark Merrow, but it would have been something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. So, this is really a one-match uh, card I, I, for I me. Like, I like Goldust and Taker. Say, it's one match for you, it's it's a four-match for me. For well, sh- that's almost all the matches. No, for Shits and Giggles, Cornette and Lothario. For Shits and Giggles, Mark Henry and King. But the actual true wrestling fans, I enjoyed Goldust and Undertaker. Uh, well, I just I thought they didn't give Goldust anything, and, and that kind of disappointed me. And obviously the main event for certain... Oh, the main event is my only recommendation. So you can save yourself uh, an hour and a half and watch the main event. That would be my suggestion to you. So on our rating scale, Patrick, Hornswoggle to El Gigante Giant Gonzalez, where do you rank Mind Games in your house, 1996? We saw his first match tonight, and uh, I'm gonna, he's as big height as he is wide, so I'm going to go with a solid USA Mark Henry. I'm going to take a Justin Hawk Bradshaw on here with his long hair, uh, just mainly for the main event. Uh, like I said, I had no no time for the rest of this yeah. this card. That's just my opinion, and that's what what's great about opinions is everyone has one, and they all stink. <laughs> so, it's my pick for next week, and uh, one man who was on this card but not didn't bother showing up unlike the ECW guys it's funny that Bret Hart couldn't make it to the show but Tommy Dreamer and Sandman could uh, Bret Hart didn't make it to this show so I want to take a moment to I want to relive a time where Bret Hart did show up and he won his first world title at a house show it wasn't on pay-per-view it wasn't on TV it wasn't even released until it wasn't even on the network until recently it's from March 31st, 1993. It's Ric Flair versus Bret Hart. It's called Smack'em Whack'em with Lord Alfred Hayes taking us through some rare battles, including Bret Hart challenging Ric Flair for the WWF Championship, a match in which Bret Hart won the WWF Championship only to be released on VHS uh, months later. So, Smack'em Whack'em. Smack'em Whack'em. Uh, it... Uh, sounds like a dirty film, but uh, it's not. It's just uh, Brett Hitman Hart winning the Winged Eagle belt. And this is it. This is the Coliseum home video package. Yes, this is in the home video classics section of the network. Let's see the runs time on this thing. It's rated TV 14 for some sexual content. So. Uh oh. Oh man, this thing runs one hour 57. So. Wow, two hours! Holy shit! Yeah, one hour 57 of Smack'em Whack'em. Alright. March 31st, 1993. There you go. Bret Hart. The era of the Hitman is upon us. Or as Stone Cold would say, the Shitman <laughs> is upon us. And that'll be next week's review for the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Where can they find you on the internet, 
Patrick. I'm on Facebook, uh, Patrick Young or Patrick Young Wrestling. Type that into your search engine. You can't miss me. Uh, if you can't find us, find me in any other way for some reason, uh, message us on our page. I'm always willing to ask or answer any questions. If I see it before Alex, I'll direct you to my page, or Alex will direct you to my personal page. If um, there's anything you want to ask, no, whatever, make requests, throw out you know, a suggestion. Uh, we're here. We listen. We are the People's Podcast. We're here. We do That's probably the name of another podcast, so maybe not. Uh, uh, we're the true champs. That's probably the name of a podcast as well. Uh, so that'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I'm the one and only the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's clothesline. And bingo, bango. I think there were still a lot of people who missed Cactus Jack. Those fans who knew Cactus Jack missed him. Like they didn't see mankind as being the, the real me. And I think mind games changed a lot of minds. I am wrestling the wackiest cat that the World Wrestling Federation has ever, ever seen. Mick was fantastic to be in the ring with. It was brutal, it was physical, but it was really creative. Like, there was some really cool stuff that hadn't been done before or after. What I remember more than anything about that match was the creativity, the different kind of creativity that Mick brought to the match. Suplexing him on the outside of the ring. Been done. But having his leg swing over and... That is a perfect example of the wrestling style of Mick Foley. It's wrestling dialed up to 11. It's a little bit more violent. It's a little bit more crazy. Him bringing in all these different elements, pulling up the mat, and having me jump on him, stomp on him. A number of different things that we did in this match that a WWE crowd and a pay-per-view crowd had not seen, had not been exposed to, and it made Shawn Michaels and Hartley Kidd look a ton more aggressive gave him an edge that he didn't have at that time. And I'm really flattered that Sean gives that match credit for letting people see him in a different light. That is Mick Foley, and that's one of my favorite matches of all time. Mick Foley, Shawn Michaels, and Mind Games. It doesn't get any better than that. That was the match that I looked to as being the greatest match of my career for a long time.